Use the 24601. Your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. Yes, please, I'm free. No. Follow to the letter your itinerary. This badge of shame will show it till you die. It warns you're a dangerous man. Stole a loaf of bread. My sister's child was close to death. We were starving. You'll starve again unless you learn the meaning of the law. Know the meaning of those 19 years. A slave of the law. For what you did, the rest because you tried to run. Yes, two for six or one. Name is Jean Valjean, and I'm Javert. Do not forget my name. Do not forget me. Two for six or one. and welcome to episode 8 of Dude and a Monkey. Uh, we are back on our regular shows where we're going to review a film. We're going to give you a bit of one new, one old. We're also going to cover a topic which this week is going to be the Oscars. So we're going to cover omissions, things that likely might win. We're also going to reveal some details about our Oscars special show. And then we're going to get back into our movie marathon from... Well, a long while ago, which was Richard Linklater, and we're covering his film Suburbia. We're also going to cover a few questions that we've been asked and read out a couple of emails. And here is Ian. Hi. Um, so, <laughs> I completely forgot to introduce as I started to say, here is Ian. Um, so, like I say, we're, we're back to our, our, our normal thing. So, um, we're going to play a little bit of a clip from the trailer to Lemmy's, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get. Balls deep in some French Revolution. <laughs> Uncle, would you let me stay here for tonight? I know who you are. You're Jean Valjean. My girl, on your way. I had a dream my life would be. Help me, please. I have a child so different from this hell I'm living. So never know from what it seems. Where is your child? No life has killed a dream. One day more. Is that? Another day, another destiny. Mademoiselle, it's never-ending road to Calvary. Where's the child, Cosette? Tomorrow you'll be worlds away. Who was that girl? Cosette. And yet with you my world has started. But he never saw me Revolution, being nipped in the bud. 
Okay, so um, that was a trailer from Les Mis. Um, right, straight away, Ian, uh, what did you think of um, Tom Hooper's adaptation of the very popular musical? Fuck me, man, we are I'm not wasting any time today. That no, was we're, a quick we're, intro, we're, good we're fucking, shit. We're going for that, that, that two-hour mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sorry, yeah fucking right and then we were thinking it was going to be an hour and a half every week right um <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah Les Mis um I was looking uh, looking forward to Les Mis you know um it, I, I'm I'm not the world's biggest fan of the King's Speech um uh, at all uh even though I still think it's a solid enough film and you know him just like pretty much straight away signing a deal to do Les Mis as soon as like King's Speech won all the Oscars and whatnot it's um it, I I don't know. I was a little bit worried about whether Hooper would be able to, frankly, whether he'd bitten off more than he could chew here. And a long uh, way from bite a grove, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, quite. I mean, like you know, it's the the Dams United and the King's Speech feel like films that could potentially be from the same director. Les Mis, in terms of concept, feels like something that really needs like a veteran to take on. You know, um, and. I I, I, I I think the Tom Hooper isms, um, even though I think he deserves credit for the effort as such, um, I think they are some of the worst aspects of the film. But generally, uh, I thought Les Mis was pretty fucking spectacular and um, it was quite the pleasure to sit through. I do have issues and we'll go into those, but I was very, very happy with it. And um, it... I don't know. It would take. I like to think I'm quite a cynical bastard, but it would take a far more cynical person than I to not say that it had me tearing up on quite a few occasions. And I'll hold my hands up and say that. Mark, I am very, very intrigued to hear what you think. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm not the greatest musical fan. I'm not one of these people who, who I, I don't dislike musicals, but um, I'm. I'm not a big musical theatre fan. The one thing that I always think that happens when you have a film, the reason why film adaptations don't, or personally I don't think they work, that are adaptations of a musical. And let's be honest, they, they regularly don't work. This isn't the first uh, Les Miserables um, film. You know, there was one not too long ago, I think it was 98, um, which starred Liam Neeson. Uh, yeah, and it, right. it just didn't work. You know, they have been attempts to do these. And the reason is when you go... Um, when you go and watch a musical um, in the theatre, it is it's it's stagey. It's purposefully stagey. It's all about the song. It is purposefully over the top and boom ba boom ba boom ba boom ba. And it is like that. And they are singing at you. What you get, um, you know, you're basically you're facing it. You you have a, um, a very um, flat dimension of what you're there to look at um, is on stage. 
Now, what happens when you put that onto film and you have the singing on a film and, you know, a lot's been made of the fact that this is, this is live singing, which I think does make a difference, uh, is it, it's harder to believe and it's harder to accept the reality that is, that is this because everybody's singing and you're always in the back of your mind thinking, well, why are they singing? You know, and that's what I think a lot of the time happens with musicals and why they don't work. I didn't feel any of that in this. Uh, mm. I think the opening pulls you straight in. It is such a... It, it's a huge opening and a very ambitious opening uh, where you've got, the, you know, the opening song and you've got them all pulling, you know, this giant ship into port in all this rain and it's very stagey but, but very much sets itself out as, look, we're not trying to make a film version of this musical. We're making a musical film. Mm. And that's what it does. And also as well, it puts straight away, front and centre, it goes, right, here's, here's Hugh Jackman, here's Russell Crowe. Bang. And within you know, minutes, they've both had a chance to kind of show what they're about and what they're doing. Uh, like you, I thought it's it, it'd take somebody. I, again, I'm very very cynical and stuff. Um, I'm not as big a fan as, as Tommy, but I wasn't a big fan of the Damned United, and I wasn't a big fan of the King's Speech. I thought they both were perfectly decent films, but they they felt to me very much like um, TV films that got released in cinemas. Uh, sure, yeah. I know I'm gonna get called, you know, I'm gonna get people calling me out on that, but I, that's just how they felt to me. They felt very they felt very ITV drama at points. The, the Dan's United in particular, I yeah, think, which I think is so, a, yeah. it's a curiously overrated film, is The Dan's United. It seems like there's a clique of people who believe they're the only people who have actually seen The Dan's United and they all love it. And, and and I don't I don't get that at all. And I mean the King's Speech, my a lot of my feelings on the King's Speech just come from the fact that it basically fucked over the social network so much yes like at, at the at the oscars you know it's just personal bias in that case mm. um what i will say is i i, I have um I was, like, I was like you i found myself sort of tearing up at certain points um but i do have issues with it so what i think we should do uh is just go over our issues first i think for me, if if I was to gauge this film and give it a score out of let's say five, it'd be a, a solid four to four and a half out of five. I think it's a spectacular looking film. But what I'd like to do is maybe look at the negatives first, so we can end on a positive, and then look at the positives because there are some you know colossal positives. I think. Sure. So I, I think we're probably going to share the negatives. But what what were your what were the things that that maybe irked you about it um, or that maybe got to you about it okay well I mean my but to be honest my biggest problem but the thing is I have no experience with the musical whatsoever so I don't know but my well two big problems even though one is a bit of a nitpick but still I think a fair nitpick one Russell Crowe's character is set up as a, like a dogged determined ruthless policeman but he lets Hugh Jackman's character go like twice and he doesn't seem even though years have passed he, he it, it seems to take him an awful long 
And I, I, he, well, actually, it's it specifically after the first time he loses him, and it, it skips ahead, and Amanda Seyfried is introduced into it. The fact that Jackman's, uh, Jackman and Seyfried have been apparently basically living under his nose the entire time, and he hasn't spotted it. Maybe, I mean, that could be a case with the musical as well, but it just kind of felt like Russell Crowe's character was a bit was a bit of an idiot there, but that is a little nitpick. One thing I will say, though, is the Eddie Redmayne, Amanda Seyfried stuff did not work too well for me. Um, there's a, you know, there's a basic convention in, in kind of in, in cinema and, and musicals of like Love at First Sight and things like that, but it just... It didn't click for me, and I don't think those two clicked either. And especially when um, Samantha Barks, who was in, like, is in the, the stage version of Les Mis herself, is, you know, so very, very good in her pining for Redmayne's character. I, I think she's fucking brilliant in this. Yeah, I, I, I completely. She does, and as well, he seems to have more affection towards her, a more of a chemistry with her. Yeah, does, he does um, have more chemistry with her. Seyfried. Um, I mean, one of my uh, links in um, with what you're saying, one of my kind of slight issues with it is, I mean, it, it, it's a big, it's a big musical. Um, but I think the way that this film, it, you know, it's two hours, 40 minutes, and it feels two hours, 40 minutes. I think the it's it's, it's definitely split into two bits. There's the... Um, the first act, and then there's a second act, essentially. Um, yes, yeah. uh, they can be described as um, you've got the uh, corset uh, uh, as you know when she's young before we even first introduced, and when she's young, and then when she's older. You've got the two bits there. It's magnificent for that first half, and the there's parts in the second half that are brilliant, that are that are fantastic, mm. but. It, it goes off. It it goes. It kind of runs up and it goes to sort of. It goes to like ten, and then it, it instead of dipping down to like seven where it should dip down to because it can't stay at ten all the time. Instead of dipping down to seven, it dips down to about four, and then creeps up to six, and then goes on to five, and then then starts to come back up. And it spends a little bit too much time being pensive in, in that point. And I think that maybe. Although you've got to counter in the fact that you've got to have all the songs or anything like that, I, I, I think that, that maybe that bit could have been snappier. I'm not saying it could have been cut down in terms of um, time length, but it could have been better handled. I think that that was an issue. Um, and also as well, there's there's one bit in it where uh, there's a there's a there's a battle scene, but just before the battle scene, there's a there's a sort of a scuffle, uh, and in that scuffle. A Russell Crowe's character throws a punch, and another character, you know, is struck by that punch and moves away. And it is quite clear that he is that the punch goes nowhere near him. <laughs> and at that point, you kind of go, "Okay, I know there's a big battle coming up, and the, the, that little scene there was so badly directed that I'm now very, very worried about what's going to come next." That's because that that short little that short little sort of forty second scene was was truly um, an an amateur studentish fight scene in what I think was quite a a well controlled film for the rest of it. Maybe he was off shouting at somebody, 
So I've got one somebody else to direct that little bit. Maybe that's why it was so bad. But it, that that was that was one of my one moments where I went, ooh. Now, now, really? now, now this is interesting because my my other just kind of like jumping on the back of that. My other big problem, uh, big problem with the film is one that it, it like I've been having discussions with people on 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 Twitter and it, it's kind of developed my my feelings on this that. Tom Hooper is, I, I think he's a director who wants you to know that it's him directing. Um, he's got a kind of an auteurish way of, at least in his last couple of films, of um, uh, with his framing, like being like willfully obtuse with his framing, like make it like and and kind of making you. I just kind of make you notice it's someone composing the shots like that specifically to be noticed or something. Yeah. Um, uh, and that is, that is the Tom Hooper way. I mean, couple, I mean, like, the, the, I mean, this is a better looking film than the King's speech, but you know, I think there's probably, a, a, well, it's obviously a much larger budget and you know, he's got, a grade technicians all over the shop here, um, so it, it it does look better. Do you know but... how much this cost though? I'm gonna I'm I, I am astounded if that is the actual fucking budget. How much? How much would you say if I was just to say I guess at how much you reckon this cost? Um, I like. It's difficult to say because. It is grand, but there is. It does a lot of it does look very stage bound. Mm. Um, there's also an incredible amount of CG in it, which yeah, well, well used CG. I will add. Um, yeah, but it's around sixty million dollars. Yeah, that's insane. That's that. Yeah. This looks this. I mean, I'm astounded that he's done that because it. You know, credit where credit's due. This looks. This looks like it, it's a hundred and fifty million plus movie, you know, with the sheer amount of um, background CG there is. Uh, that's that's pretty astonishing, really. I mean, I'm assuming the actors probably didn't ask for twenty million apiece because this is the kind of thing where they know it's going to be good for their career. Oh yeah, it, it's just it's like so... unless it's an absolute turkey, this is going to either help them win awards or just stay in the A list. Mm. Certainly, yeah. Sorry, sorry, going back to what you're saying. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just, um, it's it's the Tom Hooper way, and it kind of looks a little bit ugly at points. And I mean, it's like the thing is though, I and again developing some like, like Twitter conversations, I give him points for trying something very different in terms of the look, because in the end of the day, this was going to be a hit no matter what. Even if um, like it got poor reviews and it dive bombed after the opening weekend, this was still at least going to open huge. And if it opens huge, generally in the mind of Hollywood, it's a, it's a huge hit anyway. It doesn't matter what happens in the second weekend. Mm. But the fact that Hooper actually did, you know, a, a, like a lot of kind of close up in the shit kind of filmmaking, like that beginning, which like it kind of like changes from grand God's eye view zooming all over the place into just like close tight close up shots of jackman and the other guys and crow you know it, it, and um 
and I mean, again, the live singing helps with this, but um, the, the, the just like the singing to directly to camera, the face almost filling the entire screen kind of, or at least making it feel like it's filling the entire screen. I, I like those. I like those moments. It's just I can't help but feel because I mean, like, frankly, I've heard stories about Tom Hooper from a particular specifically one person who I know knows mm. and he's got a, an ego and a temper on him. Yeah, I've, and, I've heard many of the same stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it, like, just hearing him talk about Les Mis, I, I was listening to the Empire podcast, and he was actually talking about cheer, people cheering through the screenings and stuff. And it's just like, mate, fucking, you don't have to acknowledge in your own marketing that people like the film. That's, have there's you, have, a way of doing these things. Have you noticed as well that whenever he talks about it, he actually puts his... I was sorry, interviewing him on, on TV the day, and he kept on putting his hand on his... on his. Every time he said uh, Les Mis, he kept on saying, my Les Mis, and putting his hand on his chest every time he said it. And I noticed it the first time, and then as he kept on doing it, he kept on saying it every time. He put his hands sort of down, and then when he said... Limits, he'd say, well, my limits, and put his hand on himself as if to reference himself and saying, this is his. Which is, you know, is incredibly kind of arrogant. But then again, you know, a lot of the great filmmakers are incredibly arrogant. And for all the, the, there's little bits in this where I think, oh, God, that was a little bit of a, a misstep. Um, it, it for the sheer ambition of what he what he's done, yes, um, yeah. this seems very much like um, a little bit of a of a, a vanity thing for him. A little bit like like he's wanted to do this for a long, long time. Like it, it like it all just kind of happened at the right time. Um, yeah, it, it definitely it definitely kind of felt like that. Um, I think he's, he's helped he's helped very much by a cast who all seem very much like they've they too have kind of gone fully into this and they know the material they appreciate the material and they they want to make this work and I think all the cast with the exception of one or two I think absolutely nail it um, but there were, there were there was one in particular that I just felt it it was just very much um, all right. Really? Again? And it was uh, Helen Bonham Carter, who is just now playing Helen Bonham Carter, Tim Burton's partner or wife or whatever, in every single film. And I just got that again. And I, I will be honest, when, when I forgot they were in it, Helen Bonham Carter and Sasha Baron Cohen. And when I, when I remembered and thought, oh God, it's them two playing those two characters, I was worried, thinking, great, here we go. But I thought Sasha Baron Cohen was very good, but I just thought Helen Bonham Carter was just so... If you could have explained everything she was going to do before the film, I could have done. With, yeah, in terms yeah. of glances, in terms of how she'd look, in terms of how she'd move, that is the same character as she's played in the past four or five Burton films. It's the same character she played in Harry Potter. And it's just, it could have gone to somebody else who could have actually done something. She wasn't bad in it. She was just so predictable. But... Again, you know, it's nitpicking, really, because, you know, there are so many positives to take, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pretty much done with my negatives, really. I mean, it just, um, 
it, it, I mean, just going back to the Hooper thing, I think it's very, very interesting that, I mean, we'll talk about this in the Oscar stuff, but that he didn't, he hasn't got a Best Director nomination from either BAFTA or all the Oscars, where you'd kind of think that should have been a given, mm-hmm. uh, at least on paper. But the thing is, I do get the feeling, like somebody, um, I think it was Andrew Shaw actually used to work for, uh, right for ESLF, um, said that the film works in spite of Hooper. And in a way, in a way, I agree with that, even though I think that, you know, and maybe a more established director would not have taken the chances that he took with this. Mm. You know, because like, if, if the live singing thing was as much his idea as all the, all the, like the, the brouhaha would make it, it was a bit of a genius idea. Mm. I think the, the, the film, the film works, the film's best moments are by the cast. Performance, yeah. yeah Performance-wise, the, the film's worst moments are directorial, but I think some of the, you know, you, you, I think I don't want it to seem like we're just basically saying, oh, well, Tom Hooper did it shit. I don't think we're saying that. What we're saying is, is that he has moments where it, where he quite clearly makes a decision, and it's a little bit like really. I mean, there's a yeah. you know the the one of the standout moments in the film is um, Anne Hathaway's um, solo, um, and it kind of, you know, there's a point where you're thinking where it's really emotional and you're going like that and then all of a sudden you just goes, cut away. And it's like, really? Fucking hell. You know, you could have left that lingering for a few extra it, seconds. Yeah, he doesn't leave that, let that breathe, does he? It is just end of song and then, yeah, you're right. And he just you're kind right. of, he, he throws it away a little bit too quickly and it's kind of like, ooh, you know, did you... Why? Why do that? You should have left it for a little bit longer. The amount of things that he lingered on afterwards, and then that he fucking he just shoots straight down. But uh, in terms of like, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about positives, we've spoke a little bit about the you know the way it looks and like that. But the main positives obviously have to be the cast. Uh, I've got one just to bring up first is there was a lot of chatter out there um, about, and, and a lot of people have sort of uh, have emphasised it. Um, about saying that Russell Crowe can't sing. Um, this, for me, just seems absolutely like bandwagon jumping on a person that people don't like. You know, Russell Crowe, although I think he comes across as being a bit of an arrogant prick, but I bet he's actually quite a nice guy. Um, he's just... Do you know what? The, the dude took time out to do Man with the Iron Fists. So yeah, he obviously you know, knows how to have fun. You I, know. I, I think, I think he, seems, he, he seems all right, you know. He just happens to have had like a year's period where he was the biggest movie star on the planet, and he acted like a prick during it. Yeah. Um, I think he'd admit that he acted like a prick during it, but it seems to be people, and especially in this country, especially in the UK, people seem to have issues with him, and will straight away start poking at him. It was the same thing with Robin Hood. Oh, what happened with his accent? And yes, his accent was ridiculous in Robin Hood. But that's really not the worst thing about Robin Hood. And I don't think his singing voice was bad. I mean, fucking hell, right? If his singing voice is bad, I would love to have a terrible singing voice. Because it fucking it ain't that bad. And I think, to be honest, I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't pick up a uh, best supporting nod. I thought he was magnificent in this. And I'm not usually a big... I'm not a big 
Crow fan. I don't don't dislike him, but I think he gets a little bit too much credence for his acting ability sometimes. But I thought he was magnificent in this. I think what he's supposed to be is his 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 majority of his kind of drive is to get Jackman. And he likes that chase, I think, and that's why he keeps letting him go. And then that's why, you know, it culminates in what it culminates in. Because I think he realises that and that's why what happens happens. Without yeah, I, too much, even though I think a lot of people know the story. Yeah, I mean I, I think like I, I, I will say I'm not I'm not I, I don't think I'm I'm bandwagon wagon jumping, but I mean I did think out of out of the leads, I think him and Amanda Seyfried maybe like Amanda Seyfried uh, like has 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 good voice, but I don't know. I thought she had the the the, the tendency to try and play it to the the back of the theatre a little bit too much. But Russell Crowe, I think the problem is he's singing up against Hugh Jackman quite yes. a lot, and it's like. And of course, like, Hugh Jackman is you know this is what he did you know for a yeah, vast many that, years before he became Wolverine. That's the thing. I mean, Russell Crowe has his band, but it's like, and, and I mean, like, I, I don't know. It kind of felt like they were, especially towards the start, it felt like a lot of his like dialogue uh, I kind of had the same rhythm to each line. Mm. Like they were, tr- they were purposefully trying to take it easy on him. And I think in a way that made it stand out even more. Cause I like, I noticed like um, Hathaway and Jackman, cause like the, the whole singing live thing and they could kind of, they could mix things up if they wanted to. Um, I, I think Hathaway and Jackman kind of tried that a little bit, uh, 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 you know, a little bit more in their singing. They 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 tried they tried going places with the, the notes and stuff. But maybe Jackman because it's because he's quite like regimented and kind of singing how just like he done it with a singing coach and then he kind of did it out there kind of a thing. That I it, it I I yeah I I think it's. It's relatively, it's poor, but it's like poor, you yeah. Say, it, 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 if, in comparison to, to Jackman and, yeah, yeah. Um, and and like Hathaway and others within it, yeah, I, I agree. There, it, it definitely doesn't stand up as well as that. But I think you know very much, uh, and Hathaway has a magnificent voice. We you know we knew this going in, uh, and Jackman, you know he. He was very successful in musicals, like I said before. Um, he became, you know, Wolverine, and then you know went on to do, do more stuff. And I think he very much is, you know, he's channeling a lot of that, and it, 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 it's he's the obvious choice for it. Uh, and as was uh, was Hathaway, uh, but like you say, I think they they put more. Also, they put more emotion to it. They they they're very much, you know, Crow at points does feel like. He's singing in a movie, whereas Hathaway and yeah. Jackman feel like they're in a musical. I, I, yeah, I think that is a very, very good way of putting it. But I mean, I, but I mean, also with um, with Jackman in particular. I mean, uh, Hathaway, it, it's almost just like you, you've heard she's great. Yeah, she is. Mm. And yeah. Even though. Even though I was a little surprised how little screen time she actually had. Yeah, it's not a lot, is it? Uh, I, I was, I, I, because when it was, I thought, oh, they must be maybe stretching out her character a little bit because she's not actually in it 
that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I, like the the effect she has on the story is like tenfold, though. So I mean, it's you yeah. know, it it's fine. And like, I dreamed a dream. It kind of it just sets. Even though like Jackman's character never hears her sing that. It, it, it's it, it's like after he, it, he takes her in afterwards it just like the the bond between them even though they barely say anything to each other it just it, it the, the connections there and it's it's quite electric even though there's like no romance subtext going on i mean it's it's very good but i mean jackman like i i really really like daniel day lewis in lincoln i think he is fantastic in lincoln but personally i think the places that jackman goes to um here it's like he's got some difficult shit to do like he's got to age about two decades mm. which he does like he just looks more like progressively more tired as the film goes on you know like the, the kind of the vitality and the fucking vigor that he has particularly in that one like that one shot the first time i got um chills out of a few in this film frankly where um he, it's like the the climax introduction. He's walking out of that church and he's ripping yeah. up the papers. And like the vein in his forehead is yes. And he is just. And then he lets out that fucking long note. And it's just fuck me. Just give him all the awards. Yeah, I I I I I thoroughly agree. Um, he is he is ridiculously good in this. Um, he really does go for it, and it does. You are watching it going, "Oh my god, that was," you know, because that's during like a that's a good five minute song. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and it's just him walking up and down, you walking know, up and down, baiting with himself. Yeah, yeah, it's just him, you know, within like a five six foot of space, walking up and down, but it is. A massively captivating scene, you know, and it's it, it, it brilliant. And then you get that that release, and then he keeps. And then camera like swoops up as well, and, mm. and like into the sky, and it is just like, let's fucking do this. I am so up for another two and a half hours of this. Yeah, yeah, because that is within like the first ten minutes. You've got that yeah. kind of fucking owns it, you know, and even with the you know go and pick up the you know, go and collect the flag. You know, he brings the entire fucking flagpole. Um, He could have just picked up the flag. (laughs) And it's... Yeah, I mean, so... Well, I mean, is there much else you'd like to say about uh, Les Miserables? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the French Revolution stuff, again, I'd be kind of intrigued to see what it's like in the musical, but it kind of... It feels a little bit rushed. Um, It's a little bit like that in the musical. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um. But Eddie Redmayne, I thought, was uh, pretty solid. Uh, decent little voice on him as well, actually. I, I, I thought he did. I thought he did very well. Uh, you know, the emotional beats work. There's um, Samantha Barks's uh, last moments. Yes. Uh, were fantastic. Like, like she gets like her on my own song and her with Redmayne towards the end, just absolutely mesmerising and. It does make Amanda Seyfried pale in comparison, even though Amanda Seyfried's character is also probably the most underwritten character of the whole thing. She is the blonde virginal prize. She, she yeah, I mean, she's so, so generically blah. Um, you know, it, she, she doesn't really, she, I mean, she doesn't have an awful lot to do, really, other than be there. 
but she doesn't do an awful lot with being there. Um, she's not bad in it. She's just so just, uh -huh. and that's it really. Um, one little actor I thought was magnificent, uh, who played the little kid, um, was yes. Daniel Huddlestone. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the little kid, he is fantastic. You know, he, he, I mean, essentially, he has a song of his own, and, you know, he's very good at it. He he kind of, he opens up the second act, um, and it is supposed to be a slight kind of moment of levity, but it's supposed to lead you into, like you say, the, the French Revolution bit, and it, it does work. It's just then there's a little bit too much kind of... Um, young pretty men talking to each other or singing yeah. to each other um for my liking um within it uh that that kind of that bit felt far too long that 40 minutes that the, the focus goes off of jackman and, yes and that's the that's the that's the flaw because jackman is so fucking magnetic in the first half that when he's barely on screen for probably a solid 40 45 minutes it does hurt Mm, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. It's it's so much his film um, that you know it does kind of it, you you are going when's Jackman coming back? Yeah, at, at points. And, and as soon as he gets that letter from the little kid and he turns up at the barricade, it's great again. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it, does <laughs> you know? it does get going, get going again. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, I. I I mean, I watched it with um, my wife and um, Isabel, who's eight, um, which I thought I'd give it a go. And if it felt like there were certain bits that were going a little bit too sexy um, or not sexy, but not sexy in a really bad way, uh, that I'd kind of go, hmm, you know, just go out the room for a minute. <laughs> um, but, you know, look at that, 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 you know, I, I think that, it's one of those strange things. This is a it, it is a twelve A, uh, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Good. it is. Yeah. Um, it's a twelve A. So um, if, for instance, you had somebody say, "I'm taking my eight year old to go and see the uh, musical Les Mis," um, people would go, "Oh, that's that's very cultured. That's wonderful." But then you know when you think about, I, I, I thought, "Oh, should I let Isabel watch this?" I was a bit kind of, "Oh, should I?" Well, yeah, fuck it, yeah, I should. Um, you know, it's, there's not going to be anything too graphic in it, um, and the other bits I can just explain away by going, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know, actually, mum. <laughs> <laughs> just pass it over to Becky. Yeah, that's the best way to go. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, are we, are we, are we? Do you think we're we're at a point where we can summarise our feelings? Yeah, Daffo. Um, just really, really good entertainment. You know, it, um, it it kind of it pushes all the buttons you want it to push. There are problems with it. Um, it's not the one that I'm gonna be like cheering for at, at the Oscars, and I don't think it's gonna win Best Picture. But at the same time, unlike The King's Speech, I wouldn't be really pissed off if it didn't. If it did, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much echo exactly the same thing. I, I think it's it was a tremendously ambitious thing to attempt to do, and it it, it you know it, it could so easily have not worked. So it has not been as captivating as it was, uh, and 
I, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of good tape from it. You know, I will certainly be buying it when it comes out on Blu-ray. Uh, I think it'll look absolutely stunning. I think it sounds absolutely stunning. Um, I wouldn't begrudge anybody who's been nominated winning anything that they that they win. Although, really, only only Jackman and and, and Hathaway will be getting my kind of full fucking support um, behind it. Um, and you know we'll, we'll come to the Oscars a bit later on, and I'll give my feelings on that. But yeah, I, I think it, it's very good, and I think the only people who won't like it are the people who go in there already not liking it. If you go in there with an open mind, even if you don't like musicals, I think you'll come out of it going, "Do you know what? That was that was quite moving." I think if you go in there going, "Musicals are shit. I don't like musicals. This is gonna be shit," then it'll probably be shit, and don't waste two hours and forty minutes of your fucking life. Exactly, and I mean, like we're doing the thirty-five minute heroes review tomorrow. I think because Noel actually ended up seeing it, but I think it's interesting that Noel went to see it yesterday, and he basically had no interest. He just went to see it because he, he thought he should have an opinion, and even he was just like, "It's not for me," but I can see how people would like it, and that's that's the thing. I think at the very very least unless you are a little bit backlashy. I mean, I suppose, it, you, I mean, people are absolutely entitled to their opinions, but it just, it, it just works. Mm. And I, 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 it's hard to see how it wouldn't work. Yeah. I think with the talent involved, I think it is, it is hard to see how it, how it wouldn't work. Um, it'll be very interesting to see where Tom Hooper goes, um, goes next, because I don't think he's going to be given something so previously well-developed as this um, yeah. for his next project, uh, unless he does Star Wars. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> can you imagine that? Can you imagine the <laughs> shitstorm that would happen there if he was announced as the next Star Wars director? I fucking love it. Um, so that was our review of uh, Limit Riders. Uh, I think we both really, really liked it. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. You know, it was everything that I was told it was, and I'm very happy that I enjoyed it. Uh, and if people didn't enjoy it, then that's perfectly fine, because I think it is one of those where it'll either get you or it won't. Um, but what I will say is it is one of those films where either like it or you don't, but it's definitely not shit. Um, so we're going to play you uh, a couple of promos and then we're going to get in with our one old and one new. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage shit. You'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I can handle anything. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back. For just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents. You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. 
the Adventures in VHS podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, no just just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could f- any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep, keep a secret. Good poster quote for that for the is definitely not shit. <laughs> that, that should fucking work. Dude in the monkey. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> that should be sorry, that should be our um like kind of our recommendation for any film that we both <laughs> like. Definitely not shit. Yeah, we should do, yeah. We should have that's it. From now on, people, um, we're gonna describe movies as well that was shit. To definitely not shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's gonna be our thumbs up or thumbs down. That was shit or definitely not shit. I like that. That's good. Uh, right. So <laughs> we're gonna get into uh, a, a one old, one um, one new. Um, and what I'm gonna say is, I've actually I've only watched one old film, um, and I am gonna talk about it. But I was very tempted to kind of half cheat. Because I watched something new, but I've watched it twice since we last recorded. So I was possibly going to use that, but I decided, no, that would be massively cheating. So I'm yeah, not. I wouldn't be too happy with that. I'm, no, glad I, 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 I'm not going to. That film, though, was uh, Premium Rush, which I had a fucking great time with. Uh, it's, it's solid, it's Premium it Rush. It's yeah. like he is having a fucking blast with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rewatch it again in about a month's time, and then talk about it. Um, so, Ian, give us either one of your old or one of your new. Um, I've actually, funnily enough, I've only seen, uh, aside from um, Suburbia um, and, um, and Les Mis, um, I'll, I'll skip Gangster Squad just because we're, we're doing an actual review of that in 35mm Heroes. Um, but I will talk about uh, Antiviral. Um, which is Brandon Cronenberg's debut film, uh, comes out, uh, it's one of those in cinemas the Friday, out on DVD the following Monday, Jobs. Yeah. Uh, it comes out next month. Um, have, you, have you seen this yet, Mark? I've I think... not seen it, no, not yet. Have you got access to a screener? I do have access to a screener, yes. Uh, okay, is, is it online? Sorry, folks, for Inside Baseball, but... Is it an online screener? Yes, it is. Oh, okay, cool. So it's uh, the same way as uh, same way as mine. Um, I, but you know what? I wouldn't mind having a chat about it once you've actually seen it. Um, okay, we'll do that then. Do you want? Um, you know what? Let me just have a look at my diary just to see what else I've seen because there's got to be. Um, sorry about this because like it, it's just like I could talk about Gangster Squad, but um. 
Uh, do you know what? Yeah, do you know what? I'll talk about Texas Chainsaw. Oh, nice. Y- yes. All right, let's do Texas Chainsaw. So Texas Chainsaw 3D, um, which uh, came out proper in UK cinemas this uh, this weekend. They had uh, advanced previews last weekend. So this is the Toby Hooper endorsed um, uh, Texas Chainsaw sequel thing. Uh, executive produced by both Hooper and uh, a, a producer on the first film, uh, Kim Henkel, as well. Um, now, yeah, Texas Chainsaw. Um, it basically follows up directly after the events of the first film. So even though Hooper directed, uh, directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, um, this film basically uh, pretends that that never existed. So it's kind of um, spinning off its uh, own chronology, uh, chronology. And it's so uh, tight, it wants it to be tied up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre that the opening credits are like basically the famous scenes from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like like kind of played out like the old footage. Um, and it, it then follows on. So uh, the police come to the, uh, the farmhouse after uh, uh, Sally managed to get away. Uh, and then it kind of, it, it, and then it um, fast forwards. Well, it fast forwards an indeterminate amount of years because uh, there is a character who is a baby in the opening sequence who appears to be a young, hot, like young, uh, twen- uh, early 20 something uh, in this film. But this film is set in, in tw- uh, the present day, essentially. So she's the young, hot 20 something. The original film took place in the early 70s, but the film takes place in the modern day. So and the thing is, I was I was it really distracted me because I was just thinking like, right, okay, is this actually supposed to be the 90s? Like, because it doesn't seem particularly period. And then there's a gravestone where it says died 2012. So like that's first off, like. It's weird that they care so little about <laughs> detail like that, despite the fact they want you to associate it with the original film so close to the use footage of in the opening titles. So like that 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 is annoying. And the the first forty five minutes of the film basically play out the exact way you expect them to, where it's you know, basically the story is uh this girl uh, gets uh, gets a letter saying that her grandma has died and left her uh, kind of an estate, basically. She goes there with her boyfriend and uh, a few other friends, including the girl who played Alex from Lost, um, who is now basically generic slut number two. Yay! Uh, yeah, which was like actually quite upsetting, frankly. Um, now, uh, yeah, so they go there... Um, and uh, they start getting picked off, essentially. And it plays out like this for the first 45 minutes. And then after 45 minutes, where it kind of feels like... I was just thinking, like, fuck me, this film is really barreling along. Is this just going to end now? It turned out it was only, like, the first half. And it then basically goes in a direction which I, I'm not actually going to spoil here, but I thought was interesting. And by the end of Texas Chainsaw, I did not hate it at all. I, and I, 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 I'm, I'm at 2.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It's not quite a recommend, 
But next to some of the fucking shit piles that a lot of horror fans will watch... I mean, this is a point raised by somebody on Twitter, and I'm sorry if they're listening and I've forgotten their name because I am plagiarising you, I apologise. But the amount of films that people will watch where it's just got old horror stars from 20 years ago turning up for 10 seconds and they'll lap it up because of that, and then they'll shit on people going to see this. You know, this actually... Aside from the, uh, the the time issue, feels like someone like someone who has watched the original film and is thinking, okay, I'm doing another Texas Chainsaw film. It's not my dream project, but I may as well see what I can do with this. And actually goes in directions you don't expect. And by the end of the film, it's got that it is a sequel baiting ending, as they all are, but. It's sequel baiting in a way that the next installment will be something quite different from what you'd expect it to be. Like, it doesn't feel like the next installment is going to be a bunch of kids go to the farmhouse, get picked off by Leatherface one by one. It, 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 there's, there's some sort of character development where characters at the start of the film end up in a very different place at the end of the film. And there's, I mean, I'll, it's not really a spoiler, but a thematic idea of where it goes. The idea that reactions to the family, basically there's a reaction to what the family did in the opening sequence and how that reaction is also morally dubious. Maybe not as morally dubious as what the people in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre do, but is equally morally dubious. And it, it, it plays with that idea, which I which I enjoyed. Uh, the film is stylishly directed by John Lucent Hop, who's previously directed a lot of, like, basically directed video-like stuff, like Takers, uh, which did get a big screen release. Um, but it is quite stylish. There's one uh, shot in particular that kind of, um, where basically Leatherface kind of chainsaws the side of a car, but it keeps focus on Leatherface, and you see the car just going off in the distance, and then basically flip it, like uh, going crashing off the road and flipping over, which I I, I thought was uh, was good. You know, uh, the 3D is fun. There's a lot of chainsaw in your face action, which I quite enjoyed in a cheesy way. Um, and, and in all, um, it was it was one I was going to thinking, all right, let's get some early fodder for worst of the year, and. It just turned out I was absolutely fine with it. It's not one I'd rush out to see again, but if it's on TV in a couple of years, I'll sit through it. And I think in terms of big screen horror, it, it like, compared to a lot of stuff, well, compared to horror in general, it's actually not bad at all. Uh, for genre fans, it's worth a look. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've, I've heard a few kind of reports about it, and, and everyone's kind of... Sort of said the same thing that it, it's not the the car crash of shite that you expect it to be. That it's actually kind of enjoyable, not great, but yeah. not terrible. Which you know, for a a horror franchise remake, reinvention, reboot, sequel, prequel, whatever the fuck they decide to do with these things nowadays, um, it, if they're not fucking awful, they're not bad. You know, that's I'll, I'll take that. You know. Yeah. And yeah, you know they release them, and the reason why these films keep on getting made is because two things: new young non-horror fans will go and see horror films like this. You know, young 
young youths that even aren't horror fans will go and see this because they know the name and that's what it'll attract them. And horror nerds will go and watch it because we will watch anything that's remade or prequel or anything like that just to fucking see what they do with it. Just to see if it's as shite as we think it's going to be. Uh, and that's why they keep on doing them. That's why they keep on making money. They know they can churn these movies out for 25 to 30 million and they can make 40 to 50 million. You know, they'll make their money back off a little output and very minimal marketing. And they'll make, you know, usually double um, what, you know, what the, what the output was. You know, they're a safe bet most of the time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it opened really, really big in the US. So I think it was number one last week. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and uh, I mean, um, I, I mean, I'm just looking at, at the results. It dropped from number one to number nine. It dropped seventy six point three percent week on week in the US. Mm. You know, but like you say, it is. I mean, it's already made thirty million dollars there. I'm sure it'll do all right worldwide. So, like you say, it just, yeah, it, it, it's just one of those things. But I mean, at least they actually. I don't know. They try to do something. Yeah, every so often with these, you know, with these remakes, you know, you, 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 you know, with these type of remakes, you know, you don't get, you, you know, you get a decent one every so often. I mean, for instance, the um, Zack Schneider, uh, Dawn of the Dead, um, I think is a great film. It's not as good yeah. as the original, but it's very much its own film. And it, it, it's a solid film. Uh, I'll be honest, I... Although it's not a great film, I have no problem really with the um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from two thousand and three. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, cool. Um, I have no problem with that. It's not a great film, but I, you know, I've watched it a few times and not hated it. Um, again, it's fucking not a patch on the original, but you know, it's it's inoffensive. It didn't, it didn't piss me off as much as the. Um, the remakes of Friday the Thirteenth or of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which were both just fucking terrible. Um, you know, occasionally they have something in them, and like you say, if they try and do something a little bit different or try and do something a little bit stylish, at least that's something. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Okay, dude. Uh, let's have one of yours. Right, I'm gonna go with my my old uh, my rewatch. Um, it's my only actual proper rewatch since we last recorded, um, and I rewatched it the other night when I came in from uh, work, and it happened to be on TV, and it was just starting. And despite the fact that it was kind of eleven o'clock at night, and I was very tired, it's one of those films where I just can't stop watching it. Uh, I watched uh, John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, um, <laughs> which is one of my one of my all-time favourite films. Uh, it's one of the few films that I that I would call perfect. I, you know, there's it, it, everything it sets out to do from start to finish. It does. You know, it is supposed to be essentially a stupid, almost slapstick at points martial arts fantasy comedy, and it is funny. It is. It has the martial arts elements in it. Um, and it is ridiculous, you know. You've got Kurt Russell um, teaming back up with John Carpenter. They've made, you know, some great films together: the Escape from films and the Thing and Elvis. Um, and 
he plays, you know, one of his greatest ever creations in the um, truck driver Jack Burton, uh, who along with um, his friend who he meets and ends up winning money off uh, Wang Chi, uh, they end up getting dragged into the seedy underworld of uh, Chinatown in San Francisco by the way of Lopan, uh, this really weird, ancient, essentially sort of sorcerer, but is he dead, is he alive? He has sort of these, this He's this old man with no skin who's a little bit crazy, while at the same time being this fucking sorcerer who can't touch things, who's just looking for a girl with green eyes. And it's just... None of it makes sense, but somehow Carpenter gets it all to make sense and takes you on this fucking journey where it is just... It is so thoroughly entertaining and so punchy and stuff's happening so quickly... And you've got Russell being the charismatic bastard that he was in the 80s. And you've even got Kim Cattrall, who looks absolutely stunning in this movie. Um, you've also got uh, Dennis Dunn, um, who plays uh, Wang Shi uh, in it, who, again, pulls off all this kind of... He bounces off the charisma of Kurt Russell um, perfectly. And you know, the film bombed massively when it was first released, um, and you know, it develops very much sort of like a cult reputation um, of years. And I remember I first watched this when I was about sort of eight, nine years old. I think it was when it was on TV the first time. Um, and I watched it with my sister and a few friends, sort of really on one night. Uh, and I just fell in love with it. And then the next time it was on TV, I remember recording it. You know, back in the days when you know you couldn't just go out and buy a VHS. You know, if you got a chance to record something on TV, you'd record it. And watch yeah. it over and over again. So, you know, I would say for a good sort of twenty years, I've been watching this film uh, in some guide. You know, going from recorded VHS to bought VHS to DVD to now Blu-ray uh, to watching it sort of three, four times a year, every year. Uh, you know, this is my this is one of my drunk movies. You know, one of the movies where you come in after a night out and you don't really fancy going to sleep yet and you want to stick something on. You know, I've probably seen the first 40 minutes of this movie more times than the first 40 minutes of any other movie. Just because I've stuck it on that many times and fallen asleep watching it and woke up sort of at the end and gone, oh, oh, shit. And then yeah, gone yeah. to bed. You know, it's one of those movies. It's just so thoroughly entertaining. And I know that it, it, with the sort of audience that we attract, you know, that they either are agreeing with me or there'll be a few out there going... Uh, you know, I remember watching that years ago. It, if you're thinking, oh, should I rewatch that? You definitely should. It is a magnificent, absolute treat of a movie. Um, I mean, I know you're a you're a fan, aren't you, as well? Oh yeah, no, I love Big Trouble in Little China. Um, it's 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 not my go-to Carpenter film, if I'm honest. Um, that would be the thing. But um, I have, yeah, I have, no, a, it, I have a couple of go-to Carpenter movies. My, I mean, three of my go-to drunk movies are this and both of the Escape movies. That's fair. I, I think Escape to LA, I, I'm from LA even, I really need to get a Blu-ray because that would be a good drunk film for me. But um, yeah, no, I mean, a Big Trouble in Little China, it's just, it's it's ex- expertly paced. Um, Jack Burton is one of the great big-headed, like, hero characters. Well, hero in inverted commas because I don't know, like, he, well, I mean, he gets knocked out in pretty much every single fight, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he doesn't actually do really anything heroic apart from put himself into the situations where he should be heroic. You know, his yeah. bravery and his bravado 
is, you know, is heroism. Um, the fact that he's just, you know, he's such a nice guy that he's just trying to help all these people. He's putting himself into all these dangerous positions, but not at any point <laughs> is he actually heroic. Um, and that's what makes it kind of it, it, it kind of wonderful in a way is the fact that he's just trying so damn hard. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Um, what was your um one old then that you watched? Okie dokie. Well, um, funnily enough, it's another Kurt Russell one. Um, Yay! <laughs> Uh, I've been doing uh, been doing Quentin Tarantino rewatching. Um, oh, for, yes, for obvious reasons. So um, yeah, I I rewatched Death Proof. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, <laughs> so we all know what Mark thinks about Death Proof. Um, it used to be my least favorite Tarantino film. Ooh. It is now my second least favorite Tarantino film, but. Saying that, my least favorite Tarantino film is still a four out of five film, you know. So it, it's it's all relative. Now, I mean, this and it, it's a personal thing. Now, I'll get my nitpicks for uh, Death Proof out of the way first. Now, one thing I've noticed going back through Tarantino's films is he, after Pulp Fiction, well, yeah. Well, actually, maybe after Jackie Brown, I think the characters of Jackie Brown are fine. But after Jackie Brown, I think he got it into his head that he writes classic characters, like characters who are going to be remembered and quoted for the ages. Mm. And so he and I think the actors in the films like kind of aspire to this, like certain ones a little bit too much. Now, in the Kill Bill films, I'll say Bill himself, David Carradine, um, he feels like he really, really wants to be the coolest motherfucker on the planet. He feel and and I think Tarantino feels like he wants him to be as well. And I don't think it quite works for me. Kill Bill Volume Two is great until she actually gets to Bill's, and then it it doesn't go off a cliff, but it certainly dips. And that that is a big problem when you've spent two films like climaxing with her getting to him. And then it's, for me anyway, the worst part of the entire two volumes. Now, with Death Proof, Jungle Julia is it like the, the girl who plays her, I believe it's Sydney, Sydney with a Y Poitier. Yeah. Um, who is the, who is exactly who you think she is. She yeah. is Sydney Poitier's daughter. There you go. And he did name uh, after himself. Which is hilarious. And weird. Yeah, yeah, a little bit weird. Um, now, she feels like she is acting in a Tarantino film and she is being cooler than Val. Her, basically, her entire character is be catty and bitchy to people, monologue, and swing your hair around to tunes on a jukebox. Oh, don't, don't, don't forget legs. And yes, well, legs, yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, and the thing is, she's incredibly fucking irritating. Yeah. I hate every single moment with Jungle <laughs> Julia, except for when she gets killed. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's a shame. 
because the other characters around her slightly get sunk in with her. Um, um, Jordan Ladd, I can't remember the name of the character, but the blonde Shanna. one. Shanna, that's her. Um, kind of annoying as well, and like seems to be exacerbated by this. But then you've got Vanessa Felito, uh, Butterfly, who is fantastic. She's really, really spunky, and, you know, she's got this kind of cool thing, but it doesn't feel like an in-your-face in cool thing. And I, re I really, really like her. I think she might be the highlight of the first half for me, to be honest. Mm. Um, it, actually, well, the car crash is the highlight of the first half. That is some fucking solid work from KMB. Um, mm. But also the soundtrack as well. But, yeah, I mean, uh, but then the second half is just fantastic from start to finish. Um it's it's really really funny. I like Tracy Tracy Toms, um, he, in the kind of the Jungle Julia role in this bit. But like she's got she's got the sass and the spunk, and she doesn't feel like she's just being really cool. And uh, it, uh, no, she she she's she's more she's playing more of a she knows she's supposed to be a little bit irritating, but she doesn't go too far with it. She doesn't become arrogant and irritating. She just becomes a little bit annoying. But I think she's yeah. supposed to be like that. But by the end, when she's um, like driving up towards Kurt Russell and talking about tapping that ass, mm. it's fucking brilliant. It's great. But then you've got Rosario Dawson uh, uh, and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who are fantastic as well. And then you've got Zoe Bell, who... Um, I, you know, not, I don't think she's a bad actress. No, she's, she's I mean, she's absolutely fine. And the shit that the, um, uh, the ship's mast is insane. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got, a, I, I, once you get to, once you, you, you finish, I, I, I've got a little bit of a story about, about this film. Um, oh, okay. uh, nothing great. I want like there right that. I haven't fucking tried it. It's nothing great. It's just uh, a little bit of a, a Tarantino, um, kind of, because I went to see a Q&A session with Tarantino about this where he, he fucking he went at somebody and it was quite amusing. Okay, well, I'll, I'll finish up then. I mean, but, I mean, Kurt Russell with Stuntman Mike, Stuntman Mike is, is great. Um, Tarantino cameos, uh, cameo role doesn't annoy me that much. Um, I think Eli Roth and the other guy, um, I, I, watched the, um, I watched the standalone longer cut of Death Proof. Yeah. Um, but... I'm I'm I I'm thinking the grindhouse cut has probably not got as much of them in it. Um, frankly, no, and um, it doesn't have the lap dance in it either. Yeah, that yeah, because it does the uh, the missing real joke, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah, uh, when and the lap dance is great, but um, it just it, the the second half of Death Proof is fucking brilliant. The first half I think is lacking, um, but. Uh, I will also say, I think it might have the most underrated soundtrack of any of um, Tarantino's films. Um, the, the soundtrack is is awesome. The uh, the Baby It's You song that uh, it plays in the first half and then Mary Elizabeth Winstead kind of sings along to it in the second half is is fantastic. Ah, um, oh, fuck. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the song during the car crash, I think, is is perfect. Mm. Um, it it just it the 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 song at the start as well um it is is brilliant it just it it does I mean like Tarantino calling this his worst film I thought was was interesting for me Kill Bill Volume Two uh would be his worst um but I I 
I, I have a great deal of time for Death Proof. And it might jump up there in the future, frankly, as, um, you know, I like because with Jackie Brown, I rewatched Jackie Brown as well. And that that film kind of feels like slightly feels like the film that people think it's cool to say is their favorite Tarantino uh because it's it's not the one that anyone else would say and in a way i kind of think maybe death proof is becoming like that as well um but i i could see this maybe jostling with jackie brown in the future for me uh i mean my 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 very 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 tip top at the moment is it's inglorious bastards pulp fiction um kill bill volume one reservoir dogs um uh uh, uh death proof kill bill volume two that is where I am at the moment. Yeah, I mean, mine goes... Um, you see, I was thinking about this. Um, mine, I think, when I think about it, goes Dogs, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction. Um, uh, and then I'd probably say um, Death Proof, Kill Bill Volume 2, Kill Bill Volume 1 and then Inglorious Bastards which makes it sound like I've been harsh on, on Bastards and I'm really not I still think that's a solid 4 out of 5 movie it's just I have watched all of them more than 5 times all of them um, and I just I don't have as much fun and because I think that Tarantino that's what he makes I think he makes fun films uh, I don't have as much fun with Bastards as I do with the rest of them. Um, and, you know, it's very, very close to, like, you know, the top three are standout for me. It, it's very yeah. close to the other ones, but it is just that, that lacking, just that lacking behind. But it's one of those ones where, after I've watched Bastards, it probably jumps up above a couple of those. And then I'll go and I'll watch um, Kill Bill Volume 1, and then that'll jump up again. And it jumps, they, they all kind of jump around, Um the same as if I've just watched Jackie Brown, it's my favourite Tarantino. And then I watch Dogs again and go, actually, fucking no, it's Dogs. Um, and then I watch Pulp Fiction and go, God, this is a fucking great movie. You know, Pulp Fiction one of those movies, I think you forget quite how good it is uh, until you're watching it. And then you watch it going, Jesus, this is fucking good. Um, but yeah, there, has, there does seem to have been, I think, a, a I think, for me, Tarantino, and I know we should probably be covering this when we cover Tarantino, but fuck it. You know, he's that much of an enigmatic figure that we think we can talk about him for an entire episode when we talk about him next week when we cover Django, I'm sure. Um, I think his career can be brought down into, you know, the first stage of his career, which was um, Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown. Then that little middle bit where he made uh, the Kill Bill films, and then what he's making now and i think that they almost you know he now you know he like you say for a period he was making tarantino films and i think now he makes tarantino versions of genre films yeah, that's sure. what he, he, he he's doing now um and i'm you know i loved bastards came out a bit was my favorite film of that year still stands up for my favorite film of that year and possibly, you know, I wouldn't have said the same thing about Death Proof, and I wouldn't have said the same thing about the Kill Bill film. But for some reason, I just have more fun with those films. That's, the, I mean, like it, the Bastards for me, it's, I, I, it, it, it's the fact that that film just works at such a high 
I mean, they like pretty much they all do such a high level of quality throughout the entire thing. But it's just it is ridiculously well written, this bastards. Mm. And I love his little affectations, you know, the, the, the more idiosyncratic kind of moments of comedy and, you know, killing Hitler, frankly. You know, I, I mean, like, I'm going to watch uh, Bastards before Django. I should be seeing Django on Friday. I fucking pray and I see Django on, Django on Friday. So I'll be watching Bastards beforehand and I am pumped for it. And it'll be interesting to see where I am with that now because I wasn't as pumped for the Kill Bills or Death Proof. But I, I enjoyed, certainly Death Proof, I enjoyed more than I remembered. So I, now I'm a little bit worried I'll not ha have as much time for Bastards than mm. I remembered, even though I have seen Bastards uh, like four times. So like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm still there with it, you know. I mean, the thing like I was saying, about saying before, uh, when I saw Death Proof, uh, I saw it um, in the in the theatre with one of a few people yeah. that used to see it there. And I went to see a a Q and A session with Tarantino, um, and he was sort of talking about it, saying he wanted to keep it really sort of real and everything like that. And then obviously he asked out for you know the questions. And what somebody put out was, I mean, the second half of uh, Death Proof essentially is one big long car chase, really. Um, and Tarantino, you know, he put said point across, said, ah, oh, you know, there was obviously you know two or three occasions where they could have stopped the car and she could have got off the bonnet. Why didn't they just do that? Um, and Tarantino's, he, he's quite, you know, he's, you know, we've been watching Tarantino interviews for 20 odd years now. He loves to talk, you know, and it's great because I love to listen. Um, I, I, but, and he, I, you know, he comes across as being the type of guy who would be a great person to interview, you know, and you can, you can challenge him, you can ask him challenging questions, but as, Christian Guru Murphy, you know, found out recently. Yeah. If you, if you piss him off, he'll bite back. You know, if he thinks you're being a dick, he'll call you a dick. And he quite openly said to this guy, he went, "Sorry, um, so you think that driving at seventy miles an hour in a, a car, you know, an American car from the early seventies, what it can just stop like like a modern car, and she can just oh get off." and get back in the car, you know, with all that adrenaline pumping and everything like that. You just think that they can do that. And he kind of went, well, it seemed like there was, there was, there was points that you could do that. And Tarantino just sort of, to the shock of everybody, but, you know, fair fucking credit to him, went, well, that proves that you're a fucking idiot. They couldn't the, do that. And it the was thing just, is... And it, 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 it was beautiful because, you know, most sort of guys would go, well, you know, it's a little bit... But he, he, he just kind of... He, he bit at this guy, and this guy carried on going. And Tarantino just eventually just said, "Sorry, stop it. No, just can we have another question from somebody who might ask a sensible question? And please don't let it be what was in the fucking case." <laughs> um, but you know, he was brilliant in the in the Q and A. You know, he, he is he's a you know he's a film geek's filmmaker. Um, and he's magnificent to listen to talk, you know, talk. And he talks about everything with such vermin and enthusiasm that it's wonderful. Nice. And to be fair, that was, that is a stupid fucking question as well. Stupid oh, question. Also as well, the Krishna Guru Murphy was a fucking stupid question. Uh, if anyone hasn't heard Krishna Guru Murphy, um, just go and Google, Google, um, Google it on YouTube or YouTube it, whatever. Um, and I'll just have a look. Um, it... it 
Christian Murphy asked him a ridiculous question about movie violence, which is a question that Tarantino has to answer after every fucking film he's made, and it, it just got a little bit boring. I haven't even seen that because it's just like that sounds like the most stupid fucking thing. Like it, it, it just he, feels like a waste of time with Tarantino. I know, and he literally he won't let it go, and he keeps asking it, and you can see Tarantino getting more and more angry. And I was watching, just thinking, you're just being a prick now. And obviously, we all know Christian Guru Murphy is a prick, so you know, um, Tarantino yeah. was quite good on calling that. Nice. Okay, then, bud, let's finish off this section. So, your one new for this week? Uh, my my one new is is a film uh, that that didn't actually seem to have its name changed, but did seem to kind of be referred to as different. Um, so I'm going to call it by the name I'm going to choose for it, um, seeing as they couldn't seem to quite make up a mind for it. Um, my one new um, was uh, a heavily nominated film, and it's the um, Silver Linings Jennifer Lawrence's Ass. Um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, a surprise that everybody been nominating, you know, been nominated for so many awards. Um, you know, it got nominated for Best Picture, uh, Best Director. I think that it get Best Screenplay nomination. Indeed, yeah. Uh, and um, De Niro, Jackie Weaver, and its two stars, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, were all nominated for uh, for acting nods, which we'll come to later on. Uh, essentially, the film is a it, it's a rom com kind of, but with a dramatic kind of undertone to it. Um, where Bradley Cooper plays a guy called Pat who um, is suffering from bipolar disorder, uh, and you get the idea that mental um, mental health problems run through his family. His, his father quite clearly has um, compulsive disorder, um, and also you know he's he's introduced he's released from. Uh, from a mental health facility where he's kind of he shouldn't really be released, but on conditions of his um, when he's been put in there, it states that his parents can pull him out after eight months, which they they do. Um, and his dad is you know since has lost his job and he's now working as a bookie. Uh, he seems to be quite successful brother who he's um, trying to help his dad set up a, a restaurant to kind of basically laundered money through for his booking business um, and you get the feeling that um, Bradley Cooper's character had more to do with his father's kind of compulsions towards uh, American football you know, before he was before he went away but essentially this is about two a film about two very damaged people it's, you know you've got Bradley Cooper's Pat and Jennifer Lawrence's um, Tiffany um, who is a young sort of twenty-three-year-old who has her marriage has broken down, not like Pat's has. Um, her husband was killed, and she kind of um, sought solace in other men. We'll say uh, afterwards, and has developed a bit of a reputation, and it's left her quite damaged. And she's taken to dancing um, to kind of to take you know some of the angst away. Um, both of them. Have a serious passion for saying incredibly, um, I would say, inappropriate things. For instance, when they're first, you know, they're first reintroduced to each other um, by one of Bradley Cooper's friends, um, he basically says, "Don't mention, don't mention the husband, you know, don't mention the husband." And the first yeah, yeah, yeah. thing he mentions is, "How he die? How he die?" Um, and sh- they both seem to bounce off each other quite a lot. Um, I'm not really too much aware of the film because. 
what you expect to happen in the film happens. You know, it's it's a pretty fucking you know standardized rom com story. You know that wouldn't be giving too much away. Uh, what elevates, I think, this movie is is um, is the performances. Bradley Cooper is is very good, and it it is a comedy where I think it's there are a few kind of laugh out loud moments, but it it's it's a comedy bar of uncomfortability. It's an in, I found it an in, you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I found it an incredibly uncomfortable movie to watch because you're constantly thinking, shit, one of them's going to explode at any moment. Mm-hmm. And you do have moments where they explode. So you, you're constantly kind of sat there, tense at shit, what's going to happen. And it is massively driven by uh, these two sort of central performances from Cooper and Lawrence. I think Cooper, Cooper provides more comedy than Lawrence and Lawrence provides more of the the emotional um, sort of weight behind the film um, yes, I think you know you're supposed to think that Bradley Cooper's character is a lot more damaged than Jennifer Lawrence's character and she's there to help him out of it and then it, as it goes on you kind of realise that no um, Bradley Cooper's character is just he has an emotional crux um, which is he wants to get back to his ex-wife and you kind of get the feeling that once he gets over that crux that he'll be fine that that's that's the only thing that's dragging him down whereas uh, Jennifer Lawrence's Tiffany character she's got a lot more um, emotional baggage to kind of get rid of and she's using Bradley Cooper to kind of get get rid of that and then you've got the most damaged fucking character in the entire film is um, Robert De Niro's, uh, you know, the, the father who quite clearly has been suffering for years from these compulsive disorders, and he's aware that he has them, and everybody else is aware that he has them, and in you know they just basically either choose people either choose to ignore them, uh, or they um, they choose to exploit them. Um, but like I said, not going too much into it because there's no point because like I say it is a very standardised story. Um, I thought this film was magnificent. I thought it was brilliant, um, mainly because you know what what David Russell you know, makes is he makes performance films. You know he makes films very much that are you know he guides them very well and he gets very good performance out of the actors. But he makes films that actors give great performances. And you know his last movie was The Fighter, which we saw a wonderful performance from. Um, uh, Mark Wahlberg and from Christian Bale gave you know an exceptional performance, which people got quite snippety about him winning the Oscar for, uh, which I thought was pretty astonishing. Really, I thought he was magnificent. Yeah, fuck that, he was great. Yeah. You know, um, again, I think the same things happened here. I think I, I think Jennifer Lawrence is thoroughly captivating in this movie. Um, you know, you are pulled down by her. You know, you, you thoroughly get behind her, uh, and the big sort of end, the big sort of emotional scene. You know, there's a point where Bradley Cooper goes away from her, and you're thinking, "Fucking hell, seriously, please, please go where you're supposed to go." Um, and it just it pulls you around, and part of that is. Part of it is, is it's, it's cleverly directed, but a lot of it just is is you've got 
two very talented acts in the hands of a different director and different actors. This could have been such a fucking a blah movie, um, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's not. It's 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 an you know. I don't maybe think that it should, you know, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it should be winning, you know, best pictures. But certainly I think Lawrence has got, um, personally I think she's got um, actress in the bag. Um, I think she's, she's, she's absolutely magnificent. And it sets her out as being, you know, one of the best, you know, young actresses out there. And let's be honest, you know, Bradley Cooper is an incredibly handsome man. Um, and a lot is made in this movie where people are constantly referring to him and saying, you know, you look great, you've lost so much weight. You know, he sure. does look incredible in this movie, despite the fact that for a lot of it, he's wearing what he refers to as a sweater, but it isn't. It's it's a it's a grey hoodie with a a black bin liner around it. And the great thing is that's never explained, and I I love that about the film that that is never explained about the film. The Little dancing montage is magnificent, um, and Lawrence looks incredible in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, one thing I will say is, I think De Niro is, I, I, I think it's the best, one of the best performances he's given in a very long time because it's some of the best work he's been given in a very long time. Um, but not really sure why Weaver's been nominated. She's not bad at all. She's brilliant as Jackie Weaver, and I adore her in Animal Kingdom, um, but she doesn't really seem to do that much. Um, we'll get into that in the next section. Yes, actually, which is why I don't really think too much. But yeah, I, I thoroughly adored Silver Lang's playbook. Um, going back to our, our last show, it, it might have impacted on my top ten of, of the year. It might have, but it wouldn't have kind of, it wouldn't have pierced my five um but it might have snuck in there I, I, I thought it was absolutely magnificent nice i um i i'm a little i'm a slightly cooler on it than uh, than you i i have issues with the third act and i think uh, particularly it gets it does go to rom-commy uh kind of for me with with the third act and i also think um he seems to get over his shit quite quickly uh, and that was a that was an issue. It's like so much of it is is he going to be able to like like stay on the handle? And I suppose you're right that it it, it just it is that it turns out it's more her than him. Um, but it that that was an issue. But I'm I'm glad I'm glad you liked it as much as you did for sure. Mm. I mean yes, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so what we'll do now is we'll move into our our topic of the week. It's not really a debate or a discussion. It, it, it's more a topic. And um, um, I might get a drink actually if you don't mind. Actually. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll go through. We're just basically have a little bit of a natter about the Oscars, go through kind of like the big awards and sort of talk about any omissions that might have been there or any other bits that kind of that, that threw up um, and sort of roughly kind of discuss. Um, are you back, Ian? He's not back. Um, right. Well, while he's while Ian's away, what we've um, decided to do this, you know, with um, Dude and the Monkey is we are going to do an Oscar special. We're going to do a big episode about the Oscars where we're basically uh, myself uh, and Ian are going to be joined by, at the very least, um, Noel um, from Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes, Watch Your Damage, and the wonderful, uh, you know, Adventures in VHS podcast, and we're basically going to cover 
the Oscars from start to finish and go over it and we're going to discuss sort of the Oscars in general, the awards, what films deserved, what films were you know, left out and everything like that. So you do have a thoroughly comprehensive Oscars episode um, to look forward to that we'll be going over, you know, that'll be released, you know, a few days after the Oscars, which might be a fucking epic fucking... Uh- uh, oh, are you, are you talking about the Oscar night show? Yes, we are just saying that we're going to be joined by, uh, uh, you know, Noel uh, will be joining us for the full thing, and we might have some other guests sort of nipping in uh, throughout, but basically saying that we're going to, we're basically going to live record it, uh, all three of us together, aren't we, and then get it out sort of very quickly afterwards to kind of give yeah. our thoughts on it. I mean, we're, we're thinking literally, I don't know whether you just said this, but like unedited, just... Oh, yeah, it will be. It, it, it will be unedited because we're not fucking editing like four hours worth of, of us nattering. <laughs> yeah, and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I know I know. Noel's planning on drinking. I do have to work the next day, albeit not till the afternoon, but um, and, and considering hopefully that might be around the time we're moving, um, I, I might need as much sleep as possible around then, but we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. It should be fun. I will also be uh, we'll will definitely be drinking. Um, so now let's get into our discussion of of the Oscars for today. Um, I was just sort of saying what we're probably going to do is just go over sort of the the big kind of um, awards and kind of look at mainly sort of emissions and maybe look at people that were there that. You know, and say, well, are they there because it's the best performance, or are they there because um, they're the ones that people know? Um, I think that the Oscar nominations are a deeply, deeply flawed um, procedure, uh, personally, uh, and I don't think it gives us an accurate depiction of who's there. But also, I'm not one of these people who gets all fucking upping arms and how couldn't this person get nominated? It's terrible, you know. Once the nominations are out, you know, fuck it, that's what I like to sort of get behind. I don't, you know, I'm not actually that bothered who wins. I just like the whole spectacle of the fucking thing. So, should we throw in straight away and look at Best Picture? Um, So, do you want to give us who was nominated? Yeah, so, I mean, Best Picture in Alphabetical Order is um, Amor, Argo, Beast of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, uh, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. And I think what is what what is what is quite interesting here. I mean, I think it it seems to be generally the list that the prognosticators thought it was going to be. Mm. Even though I think you could say Moonrise Kingdom, Django Unchained, and Skyfall may maybe could have expected to have made an appearance. Um, I mean, like frankly. Skyfall's not getting nominated. No Bond picture's ever going to get nominated for Best Picture. That's yeah, just how I, it I mean, is. You know, when they change the the way the Best Picture uh, nominations work, and you know, when they uh, upped it from five to you know, a seemingly you know, it can be anywhere between what is it seven and ten now. I think it's five and ten. Is it, yeah. is it five and ten? Yeah, um, I think it is. Yeah. Why not just have ten? You know, why Why have it so it can be like a floating number? It seems retarded to me. You know, Skyfall would not look out of place on that list. You know, and maybe, you know, maybe that type of picture deserves a nod of the, you know, the hat. You know, the big thing was, you know, a, a few years ago, you know, the Dark Knight was, was omitted from the best picture and it should have been nominated that year. Um, 
quite clearly. Whether or not it should have won or not is a different matter, but it certainly should have been nominated. You know, there's an argument to say, well, maybe um, the Avengers should have been nominated. You know, I wouldn't agree, but there's an argument to say that maybe it should have. You know, it, you know, it, it ticked all the boxes. But I certainly think Skyfall uh, wouldn't have looked out of place on on that list. To be honest, it seems a little bit strange that it wasn't given as the the, the ten. I mean, the, the, the thing is, basically, apparently, the way that they do it is, mm. it's like the, the opening ballots for like the nominees is like a preferential ballot. So you put your number one choice, your number two choice, your number three choice, blah blah blah. And I don't know how they compile the results, but apparently, the thing is that Skyfall might have been on a lot of people's lists, but just not particularly high up. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's that's what you get, which is why I think the master didn't get a best picture nomination. It's because, yeah, I, because I think it'll have been on a few people's um, number ones and number two, but I think it'll have been omitted off a lot or it'll have been lower down on a lot. Whereas something, let's say, like Life of Pi, I don't think that will have been on many people's number one or number two, but I think it'll have been a lot of people's number six and number sevens. So, you know, it, 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 it carries that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like the, the, the whole kind of the, the whole Oscars thing is basically who can like market themselves and get the most attention to like to the Academy. You know, I mean, like through screeners and like like glad handing at parties and things mm. like that. But but then I mean, I say that. But then, frankly, Beasts of the Southern Wild and the Moor are two films where the filmmakers are not even not i mean fuck me best picture and more nominees to be determined they don't even know who they've actually who who like who they've nominated yet in terms of producers yeah so I'll it, be honest, it, it, i think that's gonna win I you think a more is gonna I, win I, best picture. i think a more is gonna win best picture and i think michael haneke is gonna win best director i think you'd get some fucking amazing odds on that i i, I think I would, i've just got a feeling that but what I think could happen is I think it could be so retarded that a more could win Best Picture and not win Best Foreign Language Film. I think that that's the sort of retarded thing that could happen at the Oscars, where it could that could happen. I I mean I'll I'll lay my cards on the table now in terms of what I think is gonna what's gonna happen in terms of Best Picture. <clears throat> Partly, sorry. Um, a couple of weeks back, I would have said it was going to be Lincoln versus Argo. But now that Ben Affleck hasn't got a Best Director nomination, that calls that into question. And rearing up as a bit of a dark horse for me is Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Because, because like we were saying earlier, Jackie Weaver getting that nomination it feels like a lot of people have nominated Silver Linings Play and did to an extent De Niro in supporting actor. I thought that was a bit of a surprise. It does seem like, I mean, like apparently actors really like Silver Linings Playbook and actors make up the largest portion of the Academy. Mm. It feels like a lot of people have grabbed Silver Linings Playbook and have gone, yeah, this is this is our craft, you know, this is our people doing these roles well. I mean, let's like say, as much as, as much as I liked Civil Lines, and I just spoke about how much I liked it, and I really liked it, uh, it, it is the only one where you, where at the start of the year, 
would it maybe not match? I would say more. You, you, you know, you could always argue for a Haneke film. But Argo, Django, Lemmy's, Life of Pi, Lincoln, and Zero Dark Thirty. You know, when they went into production, you could almost have said, I have a feeling they're going to get nominated. You know, yeah, sure. I, I, they're Lincoln, without question. Once fucking Spielberg said, I'm making a biopic of Lincoln, that was like, right, well, that's going to get nominated. Oh, and I'm, I, I, I'm casting Daniel J. Lewis in it. Well, Daniel Lewis can win Best Actor for that. You know, that's what it was. You know, people were saying that, you know, straight away, well, there's another Oscar. You know, people are starting to move a little bit towards it. But, but yeah, I, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Playbook did sort of pull out picture, um, director, and one of the um, actor, one of the one or two of the actor nods. And let's face it, if it wins a couple of the actors and it wins director, it's kind of got to win picture. You know, I I never really understand that. I don't really get how you can have a film that will win more than two of the big awards and then not win Best Picture. Always seems a little bit like, really? Well, you know, two and two should equal four. But, I mean, like, for that argument, for me, with, like, the the whole Best Picture, Best Director thing, it's like, well, if if that's the case, that like, the Best Picture should usually be the Best Director, then not necessarily all, all the time, why but, split but, it up? But let's say if you had... Not, not necessarily that, because occasionally you can just have something that's really well-crafted but just doesn't work. But let's say, let's say for instance, if um, Silver Lines played but won Best Director and then it won Best Actress... And then it went on Best Supporting Actor, right? And then it didn't win Best Picture. That would seem a little bit like... So, hang on a minute. It had the Best Direction of the Year. It had oh, the okay. Best Supporting Performances. It had the Best Female Performance. But it's not the Best Film. And let's say the Best Film was won by Argo. It would be like, well, hang on a minute. So, hang on a minute. Argo, you know, directorially wasn't even good enough to nominate... It was, you know, it only got nominated for one of the acting awards. You know, it seems to be that, you know, you'd be, you'd be picking off too many plates. That's yeah. I mean, I, that's that's a fair point, and it does kind of raise the, it does raise the issue of what's the point in having nine best picture nominees when you've only got five for best director? Because then it basically is all right. Well, those five are probably the ones that would have been the are the real best film nominees as such. It's just. For the others, it's nice to be invited to the party. And I mean, I, I suppose moving it on slightly, like the, the big winner in terms of that is Beasts of the Southern Wild, which mm. came slightly from nowhere because it's been getting some Oscar buzz. But the fact it got a Best Director nomination He's was big, yeah. it, 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 fucking huge. I mean, and Ben Zeitlin, I mean... Fuck me, he's gonna be able to write his own check like on his next project, whatever it is. Mm. You know, I, I mean, like he's uh, in his first film, he's competing against Michael Haneke, Ang Lee, Steven Spielberg, and David O. Russell. That's that's some fucking. You know, I don't think he's gonna win it. I'll be no, honest. no, he hasn't got a chance. He hasn't got a chance. You know. But you know, it, it, it's nice that they've they've acknowledged that and that they've looked beyond you know, the, the obvious, um, you know, choices. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I've not seen Argo yet and I've not seen Zero Dark Thirty, but they, they seem to be the ones that, that people are um, a little bit confused that um, Catherine Beagle um, 
wasn't nominated and that um, Athlete wasn't nominated. Um, I, I think that the, the Zero Dark Thirties um, lack of nominations in certain places, I think, is a thoroughly politically motivated move, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, perhaps, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's like Zero Dark Thirty was the massive, massive shock for me there. Because uh, like, Django, I could kind of understand it because it is controversial stuff. You know, and it's apparently, I haven't seen Django yet, but apparently it's incredibly genre-y, it's incredibly pulpy. Mm. And that, a few weeks back, was not really getting talked of in terms of Oscar at all. So for that to actually end up with Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, you know, it's it's done all right for itself, frankly. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think from what I gather, like I say, I haven't seen it yet, is... Um, the best supporting act one for that was you throw up three or four names and they caught one and went him. Um, with that, you know, it, it could have easily been um, DiCaprio and it could have easily been um, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, uh, but Christoph Waltz kind of got the nod. Also, heard a few people sort of say you've seen it. Well, hang on a minute. Waltz ain't a supporting actor. He might not be the fucking title character, but he ain't a supporting actor. Well, yeah, yeah well, and, and 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 that's interesting. And, and when, I mean, it, when you consider the amount of screen time, um, like I say, that um, Anne Hathaway and Jackie Weaver have in, you know, Lenny's and Silver Linings playbook, they're very much supporting characters. You know, there's an argument to state, well, maybe you know, that's a, you know, I've not seen it, so I might be completely fucking wrong. We'll all find out next week, but he does seem to be a little bit more prominent than a supporting character. And I would, I would argue the same for Philip Seymour Hoffman with the Master. Um, yeah, it's a tentative one that one, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's very much borderline. Amy Adams, I understand more, even though thematically, frankly, I think she is the Master. The master. Yeah, she's quite clearly. <laughs> you know? um, um, Jordan made it made the point on. Era as well, didn't they? Saying that you know that he he thinks he said the same thing um, that he thinks that she's the master and she's the you know the runner of it. And yeah, I think we said the same thing. We thoroughly agree that. I mean, I mean, I mean, in terms of actress in the supporting role, incidentally, it's barely worth even mentioning. It, it is Anne Hathaway. Like, oh yeah, it, it, it's it's fucking nailed on, yeah. Um, which is unfortunate on Amy Adams because I thought she was fantastic in it. Um, I've not seen the sessions, but Helen Hunt's usually pretty spot on everything, as is Sally Field. Um, but yeah, it's Hathaway. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 I mean, it's the most nailed on one of all the awards. Of any of them, yeah. I, even though I think actor, it's fairly nailed that it's going to be Daniel Day Lewis. Um, even though I, I think Hugh Jackman could get it. Jo- Joaquin Phoenix hasn't got a chance. No, because he, because I mean, he, I. I mean, he wouldn't even collect it, would he? Let's be honest. No, no, because he, 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 he despises the idea of awards. That's it. Uh, Bradley Cooper, he'll just be fucking a thanks for the nomination. Yeah, he, you know? he's, he's. I think Bradley Cooper is a little bit kind of like he won't win it because because of how strong Jennifer Lawrence is at the opposite side of him. Uh, I, I think Lawrence is going to win Best uh, Actress. I think it's between her and um, and Chastain. I think she'll she'll just edge it, which could fall into your your theory about Silver Linings playbook picking up you know a, a few of the major awards. 
I and I, actually, I'll say with actress, I actually think it's between Lawrence and Emmanuel Reaver, um, mm. partially because that's a story. You know, the oldest ever like actress Oscar nominee wins. You know, um, it, 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 I, I think it is between those two, and I, I, I think it's basically going to be inside baseball who who kind of campaigns the most or who gets the support out there for them because like Reaver, it's pretty fucking stonking performance well, yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm watching on law um very soon um yeah i'm looking forward to it um very much but, I, I adore hanukkah yeah absolutely absolutely um even i and i will say i was sad john louis trentignon didn't get a nomination for best actor um and especially when denzel managed to get in well, yeah, uh, I, I, mean, Den- I have a question about that i i've not seen flight um but I mean, like I say, I've not seen it yet, and I, I will watch it. I, I'm with people who are, I like Denzel Washington films. I think Denzel Washington is a very, very good actor, um, but I think he's, he's a solid actor. You know, you always get a good Denzel Washington performance, and occasionally you get an exceptional Denzel Washington performance. But I'll be honest, I really don't like Denzel Washington. I think he comes across as a bit of a dickhead. Um, and I'm kind of... I'm a little bit surprised by this nomination. Is he really that good in flight? Because it seemed to me, you know, from all the, the market and the trailer and everything like that, like it's a little bit of a, um, a bit of a throwaway film. It, 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 it seems to be getting a lot more credence and a lot more kind of um, attention than I ever kind of thought it would. I mean, Denzel is, is good in it. And uh, even though I think it's the character more than the acting that makes it interesting because the idea of the functioning alcoholic is something that is barely ever actually played in cinema, at least Hollywood cinema. You know, whenever there are drunks in, in, in Hollywood cinema, they're usually like sad sack characters who have had a bad past or they're a bad guy. You know, whereas whereas here, it's... I mean, I, mean, I will wait until you see the film. I mean, like Flight, the original screenplay nomination baffles me, uh, even though apparently the guy who wrote it is a recovering alcoholic. He based a lot of it, not the actual flight aspect, but a lot of the film and his own personal experience. And apparently there's a lot of like good feeling, goodwill towards him for that. Um, but even though, I mean, like, fuck me, the, the, the screenplay, I mean, the, the screenplay is not great. I would have, like, I would have, I would have liked to have seen something else get that. I mean, I, I, I kind of thought Looper might have squeaked in there, but you know. Yeah, um, see, I, I, I was, I, I was a little bit let down by Looper, so. Um, I'd yeah, been, I, I'd it's just based on. It, it got other nominations. I mean, not my personal opinion. I mean, like I, it's just it had been getting some buzz, and and then Flight got in there. It, it, it kind of surprised me, but um, I mean, it's. I mean, the, the directing in, in the direction in flight is the worst thing. It's, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about flight at some point in the future, but it's, it's Robert Zemeckis mm. feeling like he's being edgy and it's just like ridiculous. Instead. I mean, he spent so long doing the, the same kind of, um, he spent so long away from doing work with actual actors, um, and not doing work with actors and then coloring them in afterwards. Um, that it, it seems a little bit, yeah. Maybe maybe he just doesn't have that ability anymore. It just seems like the the, the flight nominations are this year's um, 
incredibly loud, um, extremely extremely strong. loud. Yeah, it you is know, so. It, it's like, is extremely loud. It's like what the fuck? Where you know, it, it, it's like some comical twat has gone has like been sat at dinner and gone. Hey, everybody, everybody, Irish. Do you know what we should all do? What? Just put the flight down. That'll really fuck with everybody. What's that like? I don't know. I haven't fucking seen it. I'm not watching these fucking films. I just fucking, I just vote for what I'm fucking. What I think is going to be popular. You know. Yeah. I, I, I think that is what it is. It, it it's it, it just seems like they've gone. Oh, um, Daniel Day Lewis. He's playing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Daniel Lewis is magnificent in Lincoln because he's magnificent in everything. But yeah. it just seems like the Denzel Washington ones a bit like they've gone. Oh. It didn't help in anything this year. Uh, Flight. Yeah, yeah. Is it any good? Don't know. What does he play? Well, he plays uh, an alcoholic. Fuck it. Put him down. Put him down. He'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 it, yeah, that is that is basically it. I don't know. It just... I don't, we'll, we'll talk about Flight at some point. Yeah. But, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, what? Well, because I'm a little bit mindful about time, frankly. But, yeah. Um, what, what I will say, last thing I'll say then, uh, that I'll say is... I I think um, I think De Niro's gonna get the uh, nod for supporting actor. Okay, that's all right. I think we should nail this down now. Then our like it picks for the, the category. Right, so I'm gonna say, it, it, it is, it is who is this who we think will win them? Or... Who we think will win? Right, go on then. I'm okay. fucking terrible at these things, so I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna be completely wrong, but I'm still gonna go. Go on, then, your best picture. Best picture, Lincoln. You? I think Amar's gonna win it. Okay, actor. Jackman. I'm gonna say Daniel Day Lewis. I know Actress. you're right. I know you're right on both of them so far, but <laughs> um, Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actor in a supporting role. De Niro. Tommy Lee Jones. Actress in a supporting role. Uh oh, I don't know. Hathaway. Hathaway. Yeah. Um, animated film. Animated film. Um, I think it's gonna go to. I I love it's got paranormal, but it'll go to fucking brave. Right? I think it's gonna go to Wreck It Ralph. Do you think? Yeah, because that film's been big in the US. Yeah. I, and I, I, I just think people have got ooh brave. That's by Pixar, isn't it? I'll vote for that. Yeah, mate. That's maybe. Yeah, and um, let's 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 leave it at uh, directing. Directing, um, I, I I think that uh, Hanukkah will get it. I'm tempted to go with you on that. I think Lincoln is going to get picture, but it's not. I think it's going to be a picture director split. Do you know why? Because it's Hanukkah time. It is Hanukkah. Yeah, in fairness, it is Hanukkah time. Uh, it's either for me, it's either going to be Hanukkah or Ang Lee, but I'm going to go with Hanukkah. I don't think it's going to be Ang Lee because it sounds too much like angry. Angry Ang Lee. And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking terrible so, joke. Oh, blimey, Charlie. <laughs> right, uh, moving on. Um, right, we're up to our our next instalment of our Richard Linklater uh, marathon. This is a movie that's very close to my heart, so I'm going to play you a clip um, to the trailer for Suburbia. Nothing ever changes, man. 50 years from now, we're all going to be dead, and there'll be new people standing here, drinking beer, eating pizza, bitching and moaning about the price of Oreos, and they won't even know we were ever here. 
Yo, you're getting me all upset here. Us. Are we all dressed the same? Eating the yogurt. We all talk the same. Checking the voicemail. We all watch the same TV. Sharing the bikini line. <laughs> Sometimes I just want something different, you know? Ponies coming here to the corner? Pony? What's a pony? You mean the geek who played the folk music at the senior prom? Yes! Well, you wanted to get together with your close friend, Pony the Rockstar, I understand. The corner. I mean, nothing's changed. Didn't you see that video on MTV? Oh, I shot my TV. You still living at your mom's? He's rich and he's famous. He's got everything and you've got nothing. Great concert tonight! Oh, huh? You were there? <laughs> no. doesn't need the limo, man. I don't have an answer. I don't have a message. Okay, great. Well, now he's crying. Because I'm not like everybody else. No, I'm not like everybody else. It's this tar pit of stupidity that we're all stuck in. Put back the leprechaun. Go! Half <laughs> of the world, ma! You don't belong here. No, you don't belong here. We were here before you. What are we doing, Jeff? You and me. I'm moving out to L.A. Oh, that's nice. They have many convenience stores there for you to stand in front of. Like everybody right. Uh, you just heard a little bit of Suburbia uh, and what it's about. And... Um, what I'll say is uh, this film holds a special place in my heart. Um, I absolutely adored it as a youth and watched it numerous times. And I'm talking like, you know, I got it in 97 and probably watched it 20, 30 times between 97 and 98. Um, I'd say easily that it informed a lot of my youth and seemed to resonate quite strongly with me. Um I haven't watched it since 1999, um, so oh. it was strange going back to it. Part of that is because it's not available on DVD, it's not available on Blu-ray, it sporadically apparently comes up on Netflix uh, US, but not since I've had access to it, um, and apparently it's been on iTunes, but I've also read that it actually never actually was available on iTunes, that's just bullshit, uh, apparently. Um, it's... Um, it's adapted from uh, Eric Bogusine, um who did talk radio. Uh, it's been played by him, uh, and it stars Giovanni Ribisi, Steve Zahn, who also was in the uh, original play. Uh, you've got Nicky Cat, Parker Posey, uh, and a few other kind of recognisable names from sort of angsty mid to late 90s American indie films. So, seeing as this was almost a my pick kind of film, um, I'm 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 very very curious to uh, to see what you what what you what you thought of um, Suburbia, um, because I'll admit going back to it, I I still absolutely adored it, and it is very much a film that is very much steeped in its its time. It's very much a '90s film. So, what do you think? <laughs> Press is on then. 
Um, I I liked it. Uh, I you know I I, I did like it. Um, but I don't know. Um, I was. I, I it's too long. Yeah. I'll say that it is too long. Yeah. Um, when it when it came up saying it was two hours long, I did kind of think, right, okay, has it really got the material to sustain two hours? And I I don't think it does. Um, even though I, the thing is, I liked the plot and I liked the characters. Um, Most of them. It, yeah, even there, though like there are a couple in it which I think it is near or impossible to like. Yeah, yeah, no, to, to, yeah, totally. Um. Uh, and I mean, the, the fact that you're not asked to actually empathise with every single character, and even our lead character has an awful lot of failings to him. Even though, I mean, he is he is likable, and like Giovanni Rabisi is is very good in it. Um, but it, like he doesn't help himself. No. Um, but I I don't know it. It just it didn't quite wow me. I I I will say. Um, it, I I didn't know it was based on a stage play, but I think that makes complete sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and I I I, I don't know. It, it just it felt like kind of a a, mic, a microcosm of that. This is the night where all these people are going to splinter off. You know, from this this one crazy night kind of thing, and I I liked some of the directions people went. I didn't others. I mean, I'll say first off, I love the fact that Steve Zahn just plays this complete <laughs> fuck up who just just through sheer kind of luck, it, you just know he's that one character that you know. No matter what happens to this guy, he will always fall on his feet. There's there's a great moment, and I pray, I absolutely pray that you noticed it. There's a great moment where Steve Zahn's character jumps up to hit a sign with his hand. And, and he smacks himself in the head. <laughs> and he jumps way too high and smacks himself in the head. And it is just, it's a wonderful, yeah, Steve Zahn's um, character, Buff, should be in a different movie. You know, he he is completely he is the absolute comic relief from this movie because, like you say, he's just a fuck up. He just gets drunk and does what people do when they're drunk, which is not quite gets what's going on, and does yeah. stupid stuff like the bit where they're going about the limo and all he's excited about is the fact that they're going in a limo, and yeah. Giovanni Reese's Jeff is the one who kind of. Is is so kind of overwhelmed by the ridiculousness of a limo. Yeah, yeah, I like that line that he has about you know I realised that we were all getting excited about being in a car that's a few feet longer than a car we're normally in. I mean, it, I, what I will say is, um, if if there's a single character in film that influenced my youth and my opinions and my world outlook better as a, 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 when I was growing up, I would say it would be Jeff from this film. Um, that The kind of the bleakness of, of existence, I think, that, that he has kind of very much influenced my early youth world outlook um, in that. I was sort of watching it, and I watched it with my wife, who kind of looked at me and went, oh my 
God, you were him. Um, and I, I very much was. Uh, if you want to, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you want to know what I was like as as a a kind of seven, well, sixteen to nineteen year old, um, watch this film, and Jeff was basically what I was like. Well, yeah, I mean, it does. I, I, I mean, I like the way that he is the, the guy. I, like, if you're watching it at that the, the age the people are in it, he's the guy you associate with. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, it just—I mean, going back to Steve, Steve Zahn again, though. I mean, I like the fact that you know, in any other film, he gets kind of called out by the um, by the kind of the convenience store owner towards the end, where he's, uh, like, he says, "Like, I'm moving to LA," and he says, "Oh yeah, there are you know there are plenty of convenience <laughs> stores you can stand outside in LA," which is a great line. Um, I like the fact that throughout the whole film, he is this like bullshitter guy who just who just gets by on being drunk and loud and being like fr- like ostensibly friendly to everyone even though he has that one moment the convenience store owner but then by the end of it he is absolutely fine and you know he's probably on somehow on his way to this career where you know you know he is never after that moment he is never going to see Giovanni Ribisi's character ever again yeah and and and, and he's probably going to have a really successful he he probably Right now, if he were a real person, he would probably be working on. I would. I don't know. Like, probably something ridiculous. Like, a like fucking... he'd, he'd be Brett Ratner. Yeah, he probably would be. Yeah, he'd be. Yeah, he probably fucking would be. Yeah. You know, it's it, it just like constantly like chasing skirt and somehow like managing to. Even though apparently Brett Rand is a lovely guy, but I mean, like, apparently, but like somehow just managing well, to, yeah. again, like I say, always land on your feet. I mean, Buffs are a, a really nice guy. I mean, there's, like you say, there are intentionally, I think, intentionally unlikable characters in this. Uh, for instance, Pony. And uh, the idea is, the whole, I'll explain the whole idea. The idea of the film is, is you've got this group of friends um, who all live uh, in this um, sort of suburban um, place just outside Texas called, outside Austin, Texas called Burnfield, um, which is essentially like, it's a purpose-built town. Um, and then you've got, they, they all hang out uh, outside this convenience store. Um, they're all kind of, you get the feeling they're, I would say, late teens, early 20s. Um, and they're all hang out there. And the special thing about this night is um, a guy they went to school with, um, called Pony, Pony uh, has made it quite successful in a band and he's kind of sort of come by the corner to kind of say hi and hang out a little bit. Um, and I like the fact that, the, that Pony it just comes across as being an absolute, you know, douchebag. Like, he's, he's gone there um, to kind of prove how, you know, how cool he's become. But also as well, he's kind of... He wants them to like him because maybe he didn't feel quite as cool as them when they were in high school. Um, but as well, he he feels uncomfortable about it. And the only reason why he's there is he's there to try and snag Jeff's girlfriend, Suze, who ha- must go down as one of the most irritating characters in cinema. She's yeah, she's pretty annoying. rough, actually. And, the great thing is, is there's, there's a there's a bit in it where she does a performance art piece, um, which um, when it was written, um, I, I know um, 
Richard Linklater kind of adapted it very much from the original um, stage play thing because he said that he wanted it to be even more irritating. And they recorded it, I think they did about six or seven takes just to try and get it to be as irritating as possible. And Richard Linklater, where he said he wanted it to be virtually unwatchable. He wanted it to get to the point of where when that little performance art piece finished, you went, what the fuck? And you do. I, 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 like I said, I've seen this movie 25, 30 times. And after yeah. it, I, it, it still makes me cringe at how utterly awful it is. But she's a terrible character. I, no, she's just a brilliant character, but she's such an unlikable person. She's such a caught up in feminist ideals, but actually has no idea about feminism. And the great thing is, at one point, Jeff calls her on it when she... Kind of claims I love that moment, that it's, yeah. You know, that it's about racism, this performance piece. And he kind of goes, you don't even know any black people. And she kind of, she kind of like, goes, um, I, 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 and then names somebody. And he kind of goes, one... You know one black person. And I, 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 sorry. He, no. he basically he basically tells his girlfriend, You are so full of shit. And I mean like the the fact that she is willing to basically up sticks and cheat on her boyfriend, even though he's being a bit of a dick to her. I mean, like I said, like Rabisi's character does not help himself, and it kind of makes it feel more fleshed out in that. But the fact that basically she goes for a ride in a limo is told, yeah, I'd really like you to do like the cover art for for my like, like my band's album, and, and, and like she basically just lets him sleep with her right there. Oh yeah, essentially, it's it's like that the whole kind of like and the fact that even like it even feels like her hairstyle was styled to be annoying <laughs> yes yeah you know and, that, even the, and the cut off so yeah the cut off like t-shirt and a, a platform trainers and everything about her is, is annoying and then you've got kind of like the pole and male opposite of all this in nikki cat playing a guy yeah. called tim who is the guy who got away from this this area and he joined the forces and then he's come back you know and he claims that it was from honourable discharge because he cut off his own finger. Um, you know, and whether or not that's true or not, you, you don't really know. You get the feeling like he might be lying. Um, but, you know, he plays basically the male version of her, but he's nowhere near as irritating. You kind of like him because he's kind of... He wears being a... You know, he's intentionally being a dick. She's yeah. being a dick yeah, and yeah. she thinks she's being kind of quite sort of cool and artistic. He's been a dick because he wants to be a dick. And he's been yeah. a dick. You know, it takes on sociopathic levels of being a dick. You know, he's just an asshole to everybody. You know, and I mean, even at the end of the film, and I, I love the fact that barely anything is wrapped up by the end of the film. I mean, in, in terms of characters that you actually know what's going to happen to them, it's basically Steve Zahn. Uh, Jim Harvey, Rabisi's girlfriend, and the band guy. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's just like, where, I mean, and I will say one criticism I would have of the film is uh, BB. I, she basically, it kind of basically feels like she's the one who's going to have the tragic moment, and then she does. Yeah. I, I, Throughout the entire film, it's just like they keep on leaving her by herself. I think that, it's just, that's kind of highlighted by the fact that at one point where, um, uh, you've got Jeff and Tim kind of walk off, and Jeff turns back round and looks at her, and then yeah, it goes yeah. into slow mo, 
And it's kind of like, yeah, that they keep basically forgetting that she's there, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and essentially, yeah. Sue's her best friend just keeps abandoning her. And she, uh, yeah, and then she just completely fucks off yeah. by the, like by the end of it. Like she's gone. Like her and Pony are probably not in it for about the last half hour of the film. No, it, it, they're, it, it, they're just gone. Yeah, I mean, essentially, you've got some great Giovanni Ribisi um, monologues where he has these mini kind of internal explosions that he just starts talking about the futility of life. Um, and there's some great moments there. And then you'll get Steve Zahn or burst in with a fucking a leprechaun and sit down and proclaim to Nicky Cat's character that he gives him the keys to the city. The keys to the city, that's And right, it's just, yeah, there's yeah. great moments of levity. Like, there's a great moment with Steve Zahn uh, where he's in the limo and... Pony and Sue's are just sat and like they're talking and that's the moment where he's kind of where he's got his fucking claws into her. Yeah, and Steve yeah. Zahn's kind of a little bit kind of passed out drunk in the limo and then he just starts shouting, "Where's everybody gone?" And it, it, there's just those little peppers of sort of like comic relief in it, uh, which which you need to be honest because I mean like. It, it, it it was funny. I watched the trailer for this after watching the film. And the marketing, it, it, it basically wants to make it look like Dazed and Confused too. Yeah, it which really Which I suppose, does. from a marketing point of view, makes sense. But this is like the darker, angrier, edgier cousin. Yeah, this is this is this is the Generation X. Everything is fucked. Um, dazed and confused. You know, this is the we've left um, high school. This isn't the last day of high school. Or the the, the the last, you know, the, the last few remaining hours of high school. This is yeah. what happened a couple of years later to those characters in Dazed and Confused, but in the 90s. You know, yeah, yeah. they did fuck up, and there isn't enough jobs up there, and this, there, are, there is this malaise within the youth, um, which was part of, you know, late, you know, mid to late 90s American culture, was this, you know, angsty post- you know, grunge malaise uh, within uh, American youth that, that kind of they're all a bit fucked up but they're all fucked up because they're convincing themselves that they're fucked up rather than actually yeah, being yeah. fucked up uh, so, uh, what would you say uh, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it not shit or is it shit oh it's definitely not shit good, I, I, obviously I'm going to say that it's not shit and it is every bit as wonderful as I remember but a large portion of my life for it is probably nostalgia um, uh, what I will say is please, whoever the fuck owns the rights to it get a fucking Blu-ray out you cunts it is kind of weird that they're, like it's so hard to get a copy of this film because it's not like it's anyone's dark secret or anything like that. No. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's an unheralded lost gem. I'm, I, I, I went. I, I know you are. <laughs> I went. Se- I went seven out of ten on Letterboxd, and I personally I think that's fair. I I, I, would, I wouldn't disagree I, with you. It'd be higher than me, but again, I, I could say part of that is nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, quite. But I mean, I wouldn't mind watching it again, and it's definitely not my least favourite Richard Linklater film at all. Cool. Right. Well, we'd like you to, we'd like listeners to decide what we're going to view next um, from Richard Linklater. So, do you want us to cover Tape, which is um, an all, another all shot on one night, but all shot in one room film, 
which stars Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, or would you like us to cover Waking Life, which stars Ethan Hawke and not Uma Thurman? Um, so if you could contact us on Twitter, and we'll put this out on Twitter as well before the episode goes out, because it might not go out until tomorrow or possibly midday Tuesday, something like that. So When do we want to say deadline for that? Deadline would be Friday the... Uh, 18th 18th yeah 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 cool. yep. we get it back back to Friday 18th um, so that was Suburbia which um, gets our definitely not shit um, yes. recommendation um, we've got some questions uh, dear god we'll, we'll, we'll bang through them um, Team Zizu uh, uh, that's a topic idea which we will cover at some point I favourited it so don't worry about that His question one is uh Who's going to be the most dominant actor, actresses of the next 10 years? Uh, mine are Ryan Gosling and Jessica Chastain. Um, who are you going to go for yours, going to be the most dominant actors, sort of young actors for the next sort of 10 years? Um, yeah, I think Gosling's a fair one. Um, probably Gosling and Jennifer Lawrence, to be honest. Yeah, I'm going to go, um, go Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I think Gosling's magnificent. Uh, I adore Gosling. I've been championing Gosling since The Believer back in 2001. <laughs> so like the hipster I am, I liked him before. It was cool to like him. Uh, and also, did you see I got the Brian Gosling uh, colouring book? I did not. I got, I've got a Ryan Gosling colouring book. Fucking hell. Um, but yeah, uh, but I, I think Ryan Gosling is the type of guy who in a couple of years might go, do you know what? I'm going to take a two, three year break. I think he's that type of guy, you know, where he could be, where he, he could have a moment where he goes, you know what, fuck this, and stops acting for a couple of years. Where I think someone like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, is going to be steadily churning out interesting um, films as well as sort of he will crop up in big Hollywood movies uh, as well, and he'll always make interesting choices. Um, and and I think Jennifer Lawrence. Um, for two reasons. One, she seems to be a wonderfully gifted actress, and two, she has an outstanding bottom. Mm-hmm. Which just fucking wins me over all the time. Uh, yeah, question but... number two um, from Team Zizu. Uh, which three reviewers do you take most notice of? Uh, here's our Kermode, Bradshaw, uh, Bradshaw and um, us, which of course oh, <laughs> Larry will nice. get you everywhere. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. Oh, uh, fuck. Um... Probably um, Ren Brown from Chud. Um, like, dude, like, knows what he's talking about, and he can justify his opinions very articulately. Mm. Um, in terms of notice, yeah, I suppose Kermo, just because I listen to his podcast every week, so I, you know, I get his opinions a lot. Um, I don't know, maybe Chris Hewitt from Empire as well, actually. Um, it, like, I. I seem to sing from his hymn sheet quite a lot. And he also thought Project X was like the worst film of the last 25 years. So um, th- those, those would probably be my, be my three if we're talking actual kind of like published act, like critics in speech marks. What, what if we were to include, you know, non-paid bloggers you know, who, who out there do you think is a, an opinion person that you, you enjoy? Uh, Stuart Barr. Uh, is solid. Yeah, he is um, very, yeah. At Max Friend on Twitter. Uh, again, dude knows what he's fucking talking about. Um, 
I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I could say like yourself, no. I mean, Jord can go fuck himself with his opinions, frankly. Oh, but, he's, a, um, he's, <laughs> he's a cocksucker of the old highs, mate. No, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, do you know what? One of my best moments of, and I genuinely mean this, um, one of my best moments of last year um, when I had my clothes on, uh, even if I include months, I didn't have my clothes on, um, I, was me and Jord when we were at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Uh, we went out for just like a couple of beers and I had a fucking great long conversation about like two movies, and I can't even what movies they were we were talking about. But you know, we give John a lot of shit, but John does know his shit, and then does come out with some fucking ridiculous films that he likes every so often. That yeah, I mean that that, that that's the thing. Like, John he knows, knows where pulling his leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He does, he does, he does know that. Even though like tomorrow's Gangster Squad review is going to be hilarious. Yeah. Um. God fucking hell! I mean, there's there's a lot of people I, I you know I, I I I talk to. Frankly, I mean, um, Jeff Galasso, uh, Andrew Jones to an extent, even though like he got fucking miserable during 2012. I hope he cheers the fuck up. He um, he, he seems to fall out of love with film. Yeah, he did bless him, and I don't know what's wrong with the man. Um, but uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of running on empty. I mean, God, there's so many like you know. I don't know Dan, uh, Dan and Ben from Mondo Movie. Obviously, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I pretty much agree with all the guys you covered there. Of the kind of like published ones, um, I'm a big fan of uh, Robbie Conlon from. Um, oh fuck yeah, of course yeah. Telegraph. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he, he's a he's a great writer. Who, I'm glad he found a home after um, you know News the World sort of went. You know, I think what kind of happened with the News the World thing was you had this big kind of witch hunt against the News the World, which I can completely see why people took. Uh, umbrage against that particular publication, but they often forget that you know that there are were some people who had nothing to do with the shitty side of it, um, who lost their jobs, and I'm very glad that um, Robbie managed to go out and find himself, you know, somewhere else to get his business. His writing's crossed. got better as well. Yeah, it, it, like, I, I think his writing was always good. I think he had to temper it down for what he was writing for. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I met him at Edinburgh, and he's a thoroughly lovely guy as well. Uh, I think. Kermode, when he when he's being a film reviewer, I think he can be very good. I think he sometimes gets caught up in his own persona, though. Um, and he, you know, he, he, you know, for instance, I can pretty much guarantee I know exactly what he's going to say about Django before he's even seen it. Yeah. You know, yeah. he might say that he goes in with, you know, you know, with you know, these opinions, you know, not formed already, but I, you know, I do think he does occasionally have these opinions and he latches onto them. I think he did it with John Carter, um, for instance. I think had, it, had that film have been, have been released called John Carter of Mars and not been in 3D, I think he might have loved it. But I think the fact that those two things he seemed to focus so prevalently on, I, I think kind of irked me a little bit. Um, so him, um, and I, I tend to avoid a lot of kind of um, mainstream ones because I, I I don't think we get a lot of honest opinions anymore. From I think a lot of it is is marketing driven, uh, and I've I've become quite cynical about magazines like Empire and Total Film, uh, to be honest. Um, but I, I like I like a lot of you know you know um, Dave who used to write for Eat Sleep Live Film. Um, 
you know, he, oh, Dave Hall. Yeah, Dave Hall. You know, he, yeah, 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 he's sorry, a fucking wait. great writer, uh, and I hope he starts writing for somebody else very soon because you know he had great opinions. And you know, I think when you meet these guys uh, in person, um, and what I will say is, um, I know you were saying it on Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes, but I'm I'm still up for doing fucking Fright Fest this year. So um, I know uh, Jordan isn't, and Noel probably might not be. But if it's... yeah, I don't think it's happening. Dude. Oh, you've got to do a day. Do a day at least. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'll fucking convince you over the year. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll probably still be doing it. And one of the great things about that is you know you get to sort of sit down and sort of have good chats with these people, and that's you know one of the great things about something like Friday Fest. Um, but yeah, so moving on, moving on, um, we have. Uh, I, what a rant, I think, from uh, from Lee Howard, um, Count Fosco. Uh, oh, yeah? Who's Pam? What's that? No, 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 I was just like, I haven't seen this. Well, oh, right, yeah, it, it says, um, see this awards season, do you think the BAFTAs are now more of a preview reel for forthcoming releases rather than a celebration of UK film viewing over yes. the past 12 months since pandering to the US by extending her eligibility to February 2013? Worked yes. for the US 2012 Jan December release schedule is far more important to them than being relevant to UK cinema goers. In any case, BAFTAs are a firm third behind both the Oscars and Globes in terms of TV broadcasting. Happy to admit, major categories like cinematography and best foreign language film makes the whole thing a, mo- a mockery. Sorry, ran over. So what I'd say is, do you agree with that or do you not agree with that? I, I absolutely thoroughly agree with it. The BAFTAs should be held in second regard possibly to the Oscars, or at least level with the Oscars, and for some reason people hold more credence, etc., to the fucking golden fucking twatting globes. The the problem with the BAFTAs for me is that I agree with Lee that it does feel like it is basically just the, the Oscars, like uh, a, a less important Oscars, and the... You know, it's the British Academy, and it would be nice for them. I know they have like um, outstanding British film and whatnot, but it it does. I mean, like particularly with their nominations, a lot of people have given them shit for No Barbarian and No Sightseers, um, which I I think is fair. I'm still not I'm still not incredibly hot on Barbarian, but I'm not in terms hot on of celebrating, yeah, there you go. But in terms of celebrating British, like it's the one night a year that film gets prime time attention on BBC One. And it is basically, the, all the nominees are the ones you're, you're going to see at the Oscars a couple of weeks later. Yeah, but it, 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 it's, it's a shame. Do you think it had that shift? I think it had that shift a few years ago. Um, maybe when... It did when it went before the Oscars, because it used to be after yeah. the Oscars when it was with the TV ones. And the same, but then they never got the stars there. Exactly, yeah. So it, Cause, cause the Oscars, it, I think it works having the Oscars as being you know, the final nod, you know, because they are yeah. marketing-wise um, and everything else, you know, that's the one. Like, it's, it's the yeah. big fucking thing. Um, the, 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 the thing is, it's a necessary evil because apparently BAFTA make most of their money that supports all their other things that they do through the year through the BAFTAs. And if they don't have the television audience because they don't have the stars, then they won't make as much money out of it. I mean, in the end of the day... BAFTA is an organisation that has its own agenda and does have and does do its own things. And in terms of cinema goers, those are good things. So it, it just, get, you know, it's sucking Satan's dick so you can give angels wings. I don't know. You know, it, it, it just that that kind of is what it is. But the the lack of British talent on show 
is, you know, I, and I mean, basically, the, I think the big thing is Skyfall's probably going to win a shitload, and it's going to be like, what a great year for British films. Skyfall wins, blah, blah, blah. And it is kind of thinking, well, how much of Skyfall is actually a British film in, in, in the end of the day, all right? Bond is an inherently British prop, like, idea, but the money all comes from overseas. Oh, yeah, very you much know, so. The yeah. vast majority of the talent comes from overseas. You know, it, it just, uh, it, it, uh, I don't know. But then you're not you, you're not going to get any viewing figures if it's Bavarian Sound Studio wins eight BAFTAs, you know. Mm, yeah, well, definitely, exactly, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, we have a couple more questions. Uh, we have one from, from Noel. Film uh, rant on Twitter, as everyone will know. What movie made you cry the most, if at all? Mine would be The Pianist, though I was emotionally unstable at the time. Um, yeah. I have two. Um, First Blood, number one, gets me every fucking time. And number two is Awakenings. Can't fucking watch it. I've been blubbering like a little biatch. I don't cry at films, generally. I, 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 I don't really. That, that's probably the two of probably maybe three movies that have actually made me actually cry you know I, I don't usually cry I'd love to be able to but for some reason it just don't happen yeah I, I I came very close with Les Mis today actually I came very 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 close during uh, the ending um, which I thought was beautiful but um, I don't know I mean I'm looking up on my Blu-rays just to think of anything that strike, um, like comes to mind right now but I don't really I, I tear up quite a lot I mean, fuck, I, I watched E.T. last night. I teared up like a motherfucker watching that. But um, it, it just, it, they, they never particularly get me going. Sorry, Noel. Um, and we have one from uh, George Cook, uh, a.k.a. Cookie Man 1970, which is just a picture of the cover uh, of the DVD for The House Bunny with the question, why? Well, Anna Faris dressed up as a Playboy bunny. Yeah, it just it basically is just the cover of the DVD and the question, why? Uh, I can answer this um, because girls would go and watch it because they like Anna Faris and boys would go and watch it because they want to fuck Anna Faris. That's it, really. Um, also, well, there's, there's, there's going to be a TV series of that um, character. God, really? Yeah, there is going to um, be a TV series based on that character starring Anna Faris. Why question mark? Because sometimes your imagination isn't enough and you need to go to work so you have to bash one out quickly. I don't know. And also um, also Emma Stone is pretty hot in that film as well. Um, I haven't seen The House. Oh, you should. And yeah, I have. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's not good. Uh, I, I, I can't access the email for some reason. It, it, Gmail isn't opening for me, so I can't read out any emails we might have. Fuck, we'll do them next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going on it, and it's just it's just not opening for me. Okay. Oh wait, no wait, no wait. I found a place called Gmail, um, in in Hong Kong. Hang <laughs> about. All right. <laughs> uh, my personal email's opening up, so all right, bear with me. Yeah, I'm trying to open Sorry. Gmail, and it's just looking not opening. It's just not having it. All right, bear with me. Twitter, 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 uh, um, 
Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. We had an email last Sunday um, from John D. Robinson, um, who's turning into my favourite person. Right, this is all the email says. Die Hard Free, Willis rocks his badge around his neck. Oh, Wasn't plan- nice. Because that's what yeah. you said. Did anyone start doing it before um, Denzel in... What's it? So, Training solid day. work, John. Also, as well, I think... Um, I think Emilio Estevez's character in the National Lampoon's spoof Loaded Weapon. Oh, Loaded Weapon. I one. think yeah. he wears that around his neck. And I'm going to watch oh, that film to find out. Uh, he also says, wasn't planning on seeing Cross now. I don't have a choice. Buy the DVD and pop on your com- your commentary. You sexy bastards sent from my iPhone. Yes, we are. That's solid. And yes, we are. Um, yeah, thank you, John. That was... Um, I saw that last week. Yeah, that was a fantastic fucking email. Um, oh, bloody hell. We got um, one from Team Zizu. Oh, nice. Um, right. Uh, D and M. Just a few points in reply to an excellent podcast. Like one. <laughs> uh, this is actually before Christmas as well, but um, obviously year in review stuff. So, um, uh, one. The discussion on the BBFC was really interesting, as was the debate on Picture House slash Cineworld the previous week. However, would a film like Killer Joe, which I really love, be affected? I'm not sure if this film is too much to see on a deep, meaningful level, just a down and dirty exploitation firecracker. I wouldn't want them to mess with it to get it through. Uh, Two, the 12A certificate could be added to, in my opinion. Some films I go to, uh, there are very small kids. Why can't the BBFC introduce a lower age for a film? Surely a uh, 12A8 or 12A10 wouldn't be hard to understand. Um, I suppose you could just have an 8 or a well, 10. Well, I, I, I think that you should have a 12 and a 12A. Simple that. I don't see what's difficult about that. An over 12, yeah. a 1, that you can take somebody who's under 12 to. That's fair. Uh, the Dark Knight is a strange one. Uh, he says, I disagree slightly when Dude said he wouldn't show his relative that film, but more so Commando. My two youngest children, uh, 7-year-old boy, 5-year-old girl. At least I think 7-year-old boy, 5-year-old girl, unless he means 7 boys and 5 girls. But um, you uh, have seen... Bastard. Yeah, pretty much. Um, have seen The Dark Knight a lot. They have seen a lot of the Batman animated adventures and they know it's all fantasy. I do my own cut of the movie and fast forward the two, three moments the Joker pulls a knife to a mouth. I, would, I wouldn't have taken them to the cinema to see it as a the sheer scale is a different matter, which I think is a very good point, actually. Yeah. Um, as a point, my son loves the Lord of the Rings films and Gollum on my 32-inch TV didn't affect him at all, but he looked away a little at the massive Gollum in The Hobbit. Yeah, there you go. Um, I think a lot of blood would freak my children out and I wouldn't show them any film involving it. Uh, a film that does freak them out is Coraline uh, in uh, brackets, The Buttons. It's fair enough. Uh, four, Dazed and Confused. Uh, I used to love this film, but the older I get, the less I get out of it. I think I'm getting a little old. Uh, number five, he's got a topic for us to um, use, but maybe I'll, I'll leave that and we can talk about that some other time. Damn right. uh, and then a, a bit from him. Uh, he's a 39-year-old film fan who tries to juggle three kids and a wife while watching as many films as he can. Seems that he seems to like depressing slash low-key slash outhouse films. Listens to a lot of film podcasts at work. 35mm Heroes, Kai made him, uh, Film Spotting, and obviously Dude and the Monkey, and occasional other inferior ones. Nice. Uh, I like your podcast slash 35mm Heroes. I think you're not pretentious, but you like arty films as well. Well balanced, serious, and humour. I do tweet to you uh, a lot as I like interacting about film, etc. I'm just a fan, not a nutcase. I uh, hope it's not too annoying. Of course not. Oh, it can't oh. be easy keeping the podcast up, but I hope you do. Cheers, Team Zizou. Uh Yeah, um, thank you very much. I, 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 
I want to say uh, Team Zizou. Actually, I bet, maybe I didn't say his first name because I, I think I know it. But just in case he's calling himself Team Zizou for any particular reason. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for that. Yeah, um, no, it's absolutely not annoying. Uh, we, uh, you know, both of us, essentially we met from just bitching about films to each other. Um, you know, right. fucking chat away. We fucking love it. Um, and also as well, you know, I, you know, if, if you just watch the films and stop trying to juggle your children and your wife yeah. at the same time, it might make it easier. You know, you must have a really small wife. <laughs> See, juggling joke, you get humour and everything on this podcast. <laughs> right, uh, I think that's it. Um, what I will say is um, feedback's always great. Um, topic ideas, um, we might use them, we might not, but we'll always keep them in stock in case we forget to think of one like we did today. Um, let's say get it in, whether you want us to do tape or waking life, and iTunes reviews are always appreciated. Yeah, but... Um, uh, at gmail.com at Ian Loring at monkey at DudeFoz yep that's everything um, thanks so much for listening uh, I hope you enjoyed the show uh, we're a little bit over our fucking hour and a half two hours um, again but okay, we, don't, <laughs> we hope you don't mind thank you very much absolutely bye bye right cool one day we will do a fucking episode of 23 hours long